I know you need to stay your ass on the porcelain. This is going to require a little finesse. And given your prior reputation as a hothead, you'll be the first one to fuck it up. Hey, hey, I wrote the fucking book on finesse, okay? You, you just wait for me to wipe my ass, Angel. I'm coming with you. Angel, get me a fucking podcast, Jack. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is what we were that saying. That scene is, is, is just... <laughs> the, it, it, uh, isn't there some... Like, Garrett Hedlund's in the shower for the whole Correct. scene, right? That's like, right. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he... Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, this is a lot of energy. There's I was saying a lot of testosterone. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> so much testosterone. The, the quotes page for this movie is uh, almost as long as the entire script. And I was saying this is a movie that doesn't necessarily have like an obvious iconic line to pull from, but also every line in the movie is demented, either as written or the way the actor chose to deliver it. But the toilet scene feels like the thing I want to represent the most. This didn't work as well to butcher for the opening, but this is the other exchange I just want to repeat from the toilet scene. Sure. Uh, uh, Angel comes in. I got to ask you a question. Me and Sophie did a lot of making up last night. Seems like I got a little rust on my tools down there. Opens his bathrobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then Wahlberg says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ask the cockologist in the shower. He he calls Garrett Hedlund a cockologist. I guess, I guess, I don't even, is it supposed to be like a dig at him? I, and then Garrett Hedlund pokes his head out and he's like yeah it's a rug bird or rug whatever bird. Like he, rug he bird. actually has a take and he's like oh thank god i thought my luck ran out <laughs> right it's uh <laughs> insane uh well because right it's like there's there's the ongoing thing of like does headland get laid a lot like that is a point of discussion across the movie but then they also throw a lot of uh homophobic uh yeah, jokes yeah. his way when he dies they get in some homophobic digs on his death, not even deathbed, his death ground. Death ground. <laughs> his dying moments. Right, so it's like the cockologist thing. Are they like saying he's the one who gets laid the most or is it a dig on him being obsessed right, or with Or he dicks? sees a lot of penises. Right. I don't know. I, 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 the other thing is just, weren't they, isn't the whole point that these guys were raised by a nice lady? Yes. <laughs> they do not act like they were raised by a nice lady. Well, they do, to, to be fair, they do talk about that right up top because he's like, they do. He's like, sounds like she did a terrible job. He's like, they're saints compared to what they would have been. Right. They look like congressmen. Sure. I they were, what they like, yeah, they look like congressmen. Like, I like that. I like that idea. Can I yeah. say, I think the most potent thing in this movie is whenever they envision Fanula Flanagan there with them. Like, I think that is a device the movie should have repeated more. It feels maybe had it a couple more times. Like, yeah. use it, right. use it like sort of every half hour or whatever. Because you do walk out of this movie or walk away from this movie, or in my case, roll out of bed and over to the desk from this movie, uh, asking a lot of questions about her, right? Like, she is such a presence that looms so large. You're trying to find the connective tissue between these four guys and what that upbringing was like on a day-to-day -day basis and all of that. And you get, obviously, so little of her in the beginning that right. every time... And it's only really those two scenes, right? She is good, though. She She's is very good. good. She's, She's definitely... Yeah, you're, you're like, well, I could see how she raised these four but there's brothers. The, the dinner scene and the end scene, and both of those times, I'm like, I'm starting to get it, you know? Right, right. By the way, uh, my wife... Tessa Humblebrag. has never watched Lost, Humblebrag, and <laughs> uh, we're watching Lost now, and yeah, so it was just very cool to see uh, Faraday's mother. 
yeah. pivotal. What's her Eloise Faraday? Eloise Hawking. Right. Eloise Hawking. Right. Right. But then right, she takes right, right. Faraday's the yeah the marionette. That's I mean I uh, our friend uh, Joe Robinson who hosts the the Storm podcast which is recapping Lost. I've wedged myself in there as the uh, uh, go to Desmond guest whenever there's a Desmond specific episode. Yeah, the Desmonds. Because right. the Desmond arc is my fucking favorite. Yeah, so I've, it's amazing. I've rewatched just the Desmond arc two times in the last year, <laughs> and. Her her uh, entrance is incredible. That first scene where she's like making small talk with him, and then she does the pin turn to like you're not supposed to buy the ring. Yeah, <laughs> is the is the moment where it feels like how fucking big is this show? Where you suddenly went like, is this show gonna do everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're messing with like space and time and fate yeah, now. It's- you're not supposed to buy the ring. Oh man, it's creepy when she delivers that. It's line great. Like, she's who is she? She's a great actor. She is great yeah. in this movie, and yeah, it's a failing she's that great. she's not in it more. But this, of course, is a podcast about filmographies. It's called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Mm-hmm. I'm David. It's about directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce baby this is a mini series on the films of john singleton it's called pods in the cast mm-hmm. our guest today a dear friend of the show one of the oldest friends of the show one of the oldest supporters of the show been far too long since he's been on the show from astronomy club from the black man can't jump in hollywood podcast jonathan braylock thank you for having me the fourth brother of blank check <laughs> <laughs> it's been yeah long time fan way goes way back way back to when this back podcast back. was just a joke <laughs> yep <It's> just... <laughs> it was a, a, an, a bit we could not escape yes but then we escaped <laughs> yeah. i i remember you coming up to me at the ucb training center where where we were we would both like uh uh work out with our our groups our our comedy groups and whatever yeah, but also with them yeah, we we get swole uh, with our mod teams, but um, uh, but what, where we used to record the show, and you were like, "Hey, I like your Star Wars podcast," and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. <laughs> You're like, "No one listens to this," right. and I was like, "No, I do." <laughs> right? I was like, "I actually like your podcast because you guys had just had Keegan Michael Key on." Yeah. Which yeah. was like such a big episode so early on in your run. I was like, your podcast is like really good. And you were like, thanks, yours too. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, right. No. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> no. I do enjoy every time a list comes out and we're both, we're uh, both of our podcasts are on it. It feels nice. It's just like, oh, a always nice makes me happy. We also like, we <laughs> yeah. started at like exactly the same time. Yeah. And yeah. the shows have different bents, but I do feel like we both have tried to toe the same line between, like, trying to find some actual insight and be funny at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's cool to, you know, have us be lumped in together in a good way. Um, But, no, sorry, what were you going to say? No, just that it all culminates in the four brothers. Finally. Uh, Finally. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we sent you a list a while ago, because we had the moment of just like, oh, we haven't had Gerard James or John on in too long. 
So we sent both of you guys, I feel like, the list for like seven months out in advance. Yeah, it was like yeah. Musker and Clements, right. and May, you know, all of the stuff we were right. doing. Right. So Jarrah and James both took Musker and Clements at the beginning of the year, but you right. very quickly put your chips down for like Four Brothers is wild. I would really like to talk about yes. Four Brothers. I think about that movie. And then you had been pushing hard for Carpenter during March Madness. So when yeah. he won, I was like, look, we haven't booked any of the Carpenters. Do you want a carpenter instead of four brothers? And you were like, no, I want to stay on yeah. four <laughs> brothers. Yes. Four no. brothers? This is a this is a big one. This is a wild one. In a there's, weird there's way. There's a lot here. Yeah. I there, mean, can you can you explain your history with it and the decision making process of staying on four brothers? Yeah, I mean, well, I just I wanted to do a movie that like I felt like people don't there are movies that people talk about all the time. Right. Yes. Um, and so John Carpenter has a lot of those films and John Singleton has a lot of those films, too. But Four Brothers is one of those ones where it's just like this is a blockbuster movie that I'm sure uh, like a lot of people haven't seen, like because it's very specific. It's like if you don't if you didn't like Mark Wahlberg in the early aughts or you're not really into like action movies, you probably didn't catch this one. You it know? was also like an August blockbuster and i feel like mm-hmm. you right. have mm-hmm. more substantive movies that come out in august now i feel like right. they pack every single weekend but it used to be Not like then the first weekend of august is the last weekend you can release a major film right and then the final couple of weekends in august you have movies that open to like 15 or 20 and are decent like third base hits maybe yes that's right right like and this was that corridor of just like oh yeah like last weekend of august i'll go see a mark Wahlberg movie right right with like three guys who hollywood is continuing to test out as movie stars exactly and i think that's what that's what did it for me honestly one of the biggest reasons i wanted to do this podcast uh this this movie was because of chiwetel ijefor's performance yeah he i think like this is the movie where like he really stood out to me as like i was like oh this dude's gonna be huge and he was because his presence in this movie it, this character is is nothing really this character is just like the, just like the most basic villain on, on, on paper there's nothing there <laughs> yeah it's like he wears a big jacket he's mean like he's like mean, I, he's i'm sexist. done describing <laughs> yeah. the character to you right like, well, but he's <laughs> mean in a specific way he's yes. mean where he makes people do crazy shit yeah he's Eat petty. pasta off the floor yeah sit with the kids table like yeah well power let's, moves let's, honestly let's talk chiwetel for a sec because this yeah. is in the middle of chiwetel just like i guess it's just like whatever you've got he'll do it he's just yeah. suddenly like he's in you know his breakout on movie in movies is dirty pretty things right? right and then he's like in love actually for a second for a hot second he's the cuckold no <laughs> right, yeah especially right in, in a very age-appropriate marriage to kira knightley um <laughs> kira knightley is like 14 let's and also anyway call out he's like the only black actor to have a primary role in a woody allen movie period is that yeah? I guess that's because he's he's Melinda and Melinda. He's in the dramatic part of yes. Melinda and Melinda, right? But yes. he's he is the male lead of that half of the movie, and I yep. don't, I cannot think of any other black actor in his entire fucking eighty-seven movie filmography with a role of substance. And then this year, and also he's in She Hate Me that year. But this year, Four Brothers, yeah. the villain. Serenity, the villain. He's incredible mm. in Serenity. Yeah. Kinky Boots. Yeah. Which didn't he like get a Golden Globe nomination yes. for that? Yes. And a BAFTA, oh, I wow. think. 
Yeah. Um, he was nominated for a Golden Globe. Um, yes, not a BAFTA, but a Golden Globe. Yeah. And like next year, he's it's Inside Man and Children of Men, right. the two men movies, the two, and in, in both of both of which he's like, you know, he's what the fourth or fifth or sixth, yeah. or, you know, like yeah, and, and just pops in and and is great. Yeah, yeah. you're just like I'm more of this guy. Like, why yeah. is this guy playing the third cop? Like, why right. you know, like. I mean, yes. I, yeah. Year after that, talk to me, an American gangster. He's really good in talk to me. So good. Right. That's, That's him finally getting to play like a co-lead in an American movie, because uh, it had been like British. He gets to be above the title America. He's like fifth. Yeah. Even all the way to like Salt, right? Yeah. You know, like he's still just kind of like playing one of the guys in that. I know salt. he's like That's kind true. of the third lead in that. He's like yeah. chasing Salt, who is Salt, of course. The question on everyone's lips. Sure. Right. But. uh but you know, like I, and I think it's, you know, it's partly that Hollywood is racist and doesn't know, you know, uh, how to how to find roles for this guy. But like, I think he also is just like, you know, I'll I'll do it, I'll do whatever. Like I I, I like to be in movies, yeah. right? Like he just he he's a, not a particularly egotistical actor, and he is in these scenes where he yeah. doesn't. I mean, this movie he kind of takes over his scenes, but in a yeah. lot of these movies he doesn't. He just, he's just he does right. what the movie asks. He's a character actor. He, yeah, who's hot? But, it, but he's hot, and he he also is good at being a leading man. He's not one of those. That can do that too. Yeah, he has right. the charisma and the he has the gravitas and the star power to be a yeah. leading man. But he is a character actor, and the thing is, you know, this is the time in which the black actors who got to be the leads of movies were more personality actors and they're bigger yeah. stars. Like, cause as great as Denzel is still kind of a personality actor, right? You have Will, Will Smith. And then it was like the comedy stars is the Eddie Murphy, Martin, Martin Lawrence, Lawrence right. Chris Tucker. Yeah. It was like, those were the, those were the black actors who got to be the, the lead of a movie and everybody else, you know, if you were a black character actor, you probably like three, four, you know, you get to play a cop here or there, you know, right. like that kind of thing. You, so right. he, yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, I've been invoking you a lot throughout this miniseries and, and Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood in uh, general. But you guys always sort of talk about uh, how much more willing Hollywood is to make a musician with zero acting experience oh, yeah. a lead than to yes. sort of like cultivate a career of an actual black actor like a trained black actor right right and yeah. it feels like that Have has it in four brothers <laughs> right it started shifting in like the last 10 years it's a thing i kind of keep thinking about watching all these singleton movies of like it does feel like there is this wave of like and most of them, by the way, like have to have come out of the toniest acting schools in the world, right? Where you have like Winston Duke and Lapita from Yale, and you right. have like Jonathan Majors from Juilliard and uh, Corey Hawkins too. But there's like right. finally this beginning of like classically trained young black leads starting to like carry movies. But in this era, yes, it's like Chiwetel's got the and. And two of the four brothers are played by musicians. And one right. of them, this is Singleton's third time being like, he's a movie star, he's a movie star, he's a movie star. And Andre Benjamin is someone where it felt like Hollywood was demanding him to be a movie star. Like he had right. been a little reticent to start acting and everyone was like, you should be a movie star, right? Right, right, yes. right. Th this is one of those movies where, uh, you know, you cue this movie up. The, the the cast yeah well you know Finola Flanagan gets shot obviously sure. the cast list starts rolling 
it's a long time before there's a name you don't recognize. That is the, right? the fun. That's of the Warbrand. crazy. Like, exactly. It is. You're like, oh my god! Like everyone is in this. I was also <laughs> doing the tell. math yeah. on this. I mean, like Terrence Howard gets his Oscar nom this following year, right? Because this Hustle and Flow and this movie come out within a month of each other. Cor- <laughs> correct. This is the year that this is the year that he's in this Hustle and Flow crash. Yes. Uh, you know, and just gets a lot of those sort of critic awards where they're right. they're bundling all of it right. together or people yes. the, the question was will terrence howard get two nominations or one and right. he only gets right. the one taraji was sort of like on the outside list for supporting actress then she finally gets her nomination a couple years after this Wahlberg gets his nomination the year after this or two years after this with the departed Right. And then Chiwetel has to wait a little bit longer. But it's like there are four mm-hmm. people who are within like five or six years of getting their first nomination right. in this movie. Right. Right. Tyrese is still yeah. waiting. And then, you know, Sofia Vergara with <laughs> it's just like. The... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're yeah. like, wait, oh, wait, Sofia Vergara. And then it's like Josh Charles. Wait, Josh Charles playing another corrupt cop like. A year after SWAT. Yeah. yeah. Finola Flanagan. Barry Shabaka Henley. We oh, love to see him. We Anytime love to he see rolls him. in. Yeah. Uh could have done with more of him. You know, Adam Beach has a scene in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I think people want to work with John Singleton still. I do think that's part of it. Like he because this movie, you know, it's a pretty straightforward well, plot wise, it's not totally straight, but you know, yeah. it's a like you said, it's an August movie. Yes. But, you know, Singleton's given it that weight, probably, right? Oh, Singleton's making it? Oh, well, I, I think so. With and he, he's a yeah. good actor's director. Yeah. Uh, I like this movie. This movie's kind of good. I don't know. It's, it's sort of ridiculous. It's, it's kind of so stupid, but it kind of yeah, rules. I, I don't know. I, like, I, I get a little frustrated watching it because I feel like it should be better. And I can't figure out sure. what doesn't quite work like it is entertaining and fun but you're like this thing should rip on paper i this should be the ultimate guilty pleasure you know it's got like 50 plots that that, which is sort of a problem you know like for a 110 minute movie it feels like a mini series level of shit going on i don't bray what do you bray i assume you like four brothers i assume that is, or is it just Chiwetel that you wanted to swing in for? That's what's drawing you here. Yeah, I mean, the reason, I, first of all, the cast is definitely a part of the reason why I love this movie because it's one of those movies that sticks with you because the cast is so great and like everyone is committed to what this film is, which is just, is a lot of testosterone, just mm. like the idea of like, well, you know, but then this idea of like, this this idea of family and even though it is for sure like a, somewhat of a toxic <laughs> family it's yeah. still a family yeah. you know <laughs> and you like and so there is something really endearing about it it's like i also grew up in jersey and then you know grew up at a time where people were had this kind of you know like friendly animosity where you're just like making fun of each other like that's how you know this guy loves you that they're they're constantly ragging on you you know and so that like that part of it obviously there's like a coolness factor of these guys seemingly can get away with anything which is amazing (laughs) they're constantly just holding people at gunpoint in public places all the time and never getting caught not one person ever (laughs) accuses them to the cops which is like cool i guess that's just detroit Uh, like interrupts a basketball game (laughs) a high school basketball game 
Yeah, yeah I mean, this paints I mean, a real picture of Detroit as a fully lawless society. Yeah, it's truly yeah. lawless. That, that first scene where Howard goes to talk to them in the backyard, I guess at the after the funeral, and he's kind of like, "Hey, you guys aren't going to do that uh, that four brothers thing, right?" <laughs> like he's not just like, "Hey, don't try to take the law into your own hands." He's like, "Don't do." Whatever weird action movie thing you're thinking about doing now, I don't, sure wouldn't want there to a be a series of set pieces. Right, exactly. Armed sieges on like residential <laughs> streets, essentially. <laughs> like that. That would that would really fuck up my week. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just like it, it's just a movie that I feel like works. Um, you know, it's one of those. It's like you have you have premises like this all the time or just simple kind of like, oh, this person got murdered, like somewhat of a revenge tale. I'm going to find this, you know, my loved one's killer and we're going to get revenge. But rarely I feel like, do you care about the characters? And you, I, I personally, like I cared about these four brothers, you know, I, I cared about the mom, even though you only saw her uh, for a brief bit. Like I, I, the way that mm-hmm. they crap the story is like, it just, it just sticks with you. And it's just, it's very, it's very enjoyable, and it has like some cool scenes, like that scene, the scene at the end, and like on the ice, like it does look cool, like it, you know, like, and his chinchilla fur coat, like I don't know, it looks yeah. awesome. Snow crime is great, you know. Yeah, I, I love when crime is happening snow in snowy crime. places. I, Isn't I, it good? I always like cold crime, and I always find it more visually arresting. Like th- yeah. this movie is so good, even just from the very beginning. From you know, the beginning. Y- right, right. Just just sort of like the iced windshields, and I feel like the, the verisimilitude of their breath being visible in every scene. Like, this is a movie where you can tell the actors are actually cold right. in a way yeah. that gives it a good energy. Right. Yeah. It's clearly, like, February in Michigan. Like, it's just clearly, right. you know, all of Detroit. It, it's, Detroit does not look lush, obviously, but, like, it looks very real. Like it looks like it's winter in Detroit in mid two thousands Detroit. I believe it was mostly shot in Toronto. They did and a lot I think of Toronto. They got cr- the specific which, landmark right. sort of shit in Detroit. Yeah. You know, in Detroit and Toronto—they're like across the pond from each other anyway. It's okay. <laughs> you know, you can. You, they, I, I'll allow it in this case. Um, I think the the sequence, the car chase in the snow, is like it's it's so great. It really just makes it. Like uh, so much more exciting. Yeah, and Singleton's good at car chases, and he's just done a whole movie of that. I do think, like the the watching the like fifth consecutive big gun violence scene made me just kind of realize, like, oh, it is it is just more difficult to make gun action cinematically compelling. You know, right? The more the more of it you're gonna do in a movie, right? It's gonna start to feel a little samey. It gets yeah, a little yeah. samey, right? Um, but but it's got. I mean, this movie has an undeniable energy to it. I mean, the origins of this thing are weird, and we've talked about this. But this is a movie like, you know, Singleton is almost the opposite of what we say in the introduction for this podcast, right? Where he somehow gets this like very small blank check to make his debut film exactly the way he wants. And then that, it makes such a seismic like impact that he gets to make like four John Singleton movies and define what a John yes. Singleton movie is at the beginning of his career. And then he goes like, okay, I've like kind of hit a wall. I don't want to be pigeonholed. Let me show them I can do like studio action. 
And he makes two movies, Shaft and Too Fast, Too Furious, that are both hits, but are kind of negatively received and like leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Like he's this weird case of a guy where his biggest financial hits set his career back. And I found this Entertainment Weekly article that I remembered from when this movie was coming out about how like 2005 was the summer of Singleton, where it's like he's back. He's made a new action movie, but it's a little bit closer to the tone of his early films. It's in like a smaller, more personal scale. He's working with actors he likes, but also that he was like the driving force behind Hustle and Flow. He found Craig Brewer. He wanted to get that movie made. No one wanted to make it. So he mortgaged his house and financed it largely himself and then went to Sundance and was like the spokesperson for the movie. And that movie being a hit was seen as much as a comeback for Singleton as it was the emergence of like a new director. And he got the biggest deal in the history of Sundance at that point in time. That that was a huge Sundance, you know, bidding war movie. Right. Right. Like $16 million. Right. Well, this was the crazy thing, though. Everyone was like, you know, bidding around that amount. It was like 7.5. Now it's 8, 8.59. And Paramount uh, said, we'll give you nine Plus, Singleton, we will give you a two-picture deal to produce two more movies at budget similar to this with your fee baked into it. So it was like $16 million to Singleton, essentially. Right. And it, wait, so are, are Black Snake Moan and what's the other one? Illegal Tender? No. no that's the, In oh. 2011, Singleton sued Paramount for $20 million for breach of contract. Oh, oh wow. So, so even Black Snake Moan wasn't part of that deal maybe i believe it wasn't it went to paramount but i think it was its own thing somehow right it was supposed to be him sort of finding new guys and making small movies of that size and whatever and i think also this movie was already happening hustle and flow shot the same time as this movie so paramount Mm -hmm. releases two big singleton movies within a month of each other he's doing so much press for both of them i think he was like this is my home studio i'll be able to foster a new generation young filmmakers here and i'll be able to make my movies here uh and then he doesn't make another movie until abduction and paramount claimed that that nullified his contract because he went and made another movie with another studio and that was against the first look deal and singleton was like so fucking right singleton was like my first look deal ran out like i took abduction because that had finally run out and you guys hadn't used me for six years our researchers have run down here this is we got to go through this like all the movies he was attached to in the 2000s that never happened like there's so many because there's the biggest one is luke cage right right? that's the like the columbia post spider-man is like we want to do a luke cage movie with john singleton that's like john singleton's big passion project with tyrese with tyrese obviously being the the he wanted to do it i feel like right after spider-man and it was like gaining some steam and then when spider-man 2 was huge they were like okay now sony really wants to do marvel movies this time period is the closest that movie comes to getting made right he want he apparently almost made a sinbad the sailor movie that that eventually got kicked to rob cohen starring keanu reeves that never happened he was gonna do fear and respect the video game like gangster movie with snoop dogg which was also going to be a video game that also never got released, right? That also got pretty fucking far along. He signed up for these two movies within a month of each other. And I think this one went first because it was smaller. It was easier to get mounted. But he was like deep in 
development and pre-production on Fear and Respect. He's going to do something called Convoy, some kind of Afghan uh, war movie, mm-hmm. people driving trucks through Afghanistan. I don't know. He was going to do Without Remorse, which finally right. came out. Uh, you know, on Amazon this year, the you know Tom the, Clancy's Without Remorse. Yeah, right. Uh, he was going to do a movie potentially titled Tulia, Texas, starring Halle Berry. In about a small town in Texas where all the black people were arrested and railroaded for drug dealing. Yeah, I mean, now this is the stuff Whoa. he almost did after Five Brothers in that right, period, right. Apparently. The A team yeah. is the other big one. That's right. the other. The A team was, I think, initially his, and then Joe Carnahan. I, I forgot how far along he had gotten with the A team. I think he was on that for a year or two, and Ice yeah. Cube was going to play B.A. Baracus. Probably would have been better. Probably. And it says here that it came down to casting issues where I don't know if it was about the other three guys, but I know he really wanted Cube to do it. But the, the yeah, yeah, it's so it's like it's the weird thing when you look at a director's career mm-hmm. and it's especially you know, with Singleton, he died. So like, you know, there's like there's even more movies that, that won't get made. Like, you know, he yeah. would have still yeah. been working. But like and you're like, oh, look at this gap here. What's going on? Like, you know, between four brothers and abduction. And like, why does he end up making abduction? That feels like kind of a, you know, damp project for him to take. And it's like, yeah, there's just years of things of him like bumping yeah, around. Not getting made. <laughs> yeah. Not getting something going. Ugh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. And if you look at I mean, you, there's a Hollywood Reporter article and you can literally read the filing of the lawsuit he he uh, <laughs> did against Paramount where it just feels like he was very frustrated that they like courted him so aggressively. They made this movie. They overpaid for Hustle and Flow, gave him this first look deal and then didn't make the movies that he wanted to produce and didn't give him the green lights on the movies he wanted to direct. And like he kind of just lost you know, six years of his directing career waiting for them stuck in that system. And then the second that deal was done and he took what probably was just one of the quickest green lights he could get available. Like, I think that was kind of why he took abduction, that everyone was so eager to test if Taylor Lautner could be an action star, that it was like, this will start filming in four months if you want to make this, you know? And then Paramount then said that that was... Uh, betrayal of their contract, which is bullshit. I mean, I was talking about this with someone the other day about, like, uh, contractual stuff, and they said, uh, you know, like, it's good to get this stuff in paper, but ultimately the studios are going to do whatever they want to do or not do whatever they want to do. Like, as much as you can get these guarantees on things, even if you're a big-name guy like John Singleton, if for whatever reason they just go cold on you, they will find any way possible to not live up to their end of a contract. It's so crazy. I like <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine who has a, a first look or one of these overall deals and they mm-hmm. were like I, they were like, oh yeah, like I thought that the perception was oh, this overall deal means they really want to make something for me. So Every time I bring some something up, they're going to try to make it work. And they realize like, oh, no, it feels like the overall deal is just to make sure that I'm not making stuff for my competitors. Right. Yeah. It's and, a yeah, golden it's like, and that's really thing. Right. that's really all it is. And it's just like it's so crazy that that's how people work. But it for sure is in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. That that part of Hollywood is like. It's and and it's 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 the reason like people are like well why is so much trash made it's like it's stuff like this that happens yeah. like you know what I mean you have like great people who can't get stuff made even though they've and, proven that they can do it 
And like to that, you know, like the, when you read about like, okay, well, what's the genesis of Four Brothers? It's a, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, the guy who produced this, wanted to make a movie about brothers. Like, what the fuck does that right. mean? What, exactly. He's just sitting in his office looking out the window and sees <laughs> yeah. like two brothers. And he's yeah. like, oh, what if there were four yeah. brothers, though? Like, I, I just don't even. Like, <laughs> but even like the, the Foster Brothers element wasn't part of his original pitch. Like he goes out to a bunch of writers and is like, someone pay, bring me a brothers thing. And they went like, what if they're Foster Brothers? And he went, huh, interesting. And it's like. How was that not the starting point? The starting yeah, that point was just a thing about brothers. brothers. Oh, give me a it, it was that general though. Like Lorenzo de Valventura, he was uh, the head of Warner Brothers in a, a really strong run. Like Matrix was one of his many sort of movies yeah, that most made of the him 90s. look yeah, like yeah. a visionary, right? Like if you have a movie like Matrix come out under your stewardship, you get to cash out on that for decades. He did the Matrix, and he bought. The Harry Potter rights. Right, he was the right. one who swept in fast and got those. So those those are his big wins. Right. He goes independent uh, after this, or you know, rather, he becomes an independent producer rather than being a studio head. And he was one of the guys I would say at the beginning of the two thousands who was like, we should make dork stuff high budget and classy. Yeah. Like he was sort of you know. He, Doom. But he got the Transformers rights early. He got the G.I. Joe rights early. Like, you know, um, he was pushing all these things, buying all these properties and being like, you could make this as a serious movie. And then trying to make sort of like mid-budget programmers with movie stars like this kind of was into like respect for junky stuff, you know? Right. Um, but, But yes, he just says, I don't know, we should do something about Brothers. These two writers come like, to him who I think were the same guys who were had been developing G.I. Joe for him. Uh-huh. I don't know the writers. David Elliott and Paul Lovett. Let's see. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they have a credit on Rise of Cobra, and that's right. I'm, su- yeah. I'm surprised they weren't brothers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you that would have helped the writing process. You would think. I, will, I, I am starting to get at a point in my career where I am get, like like I'm having my agents come to me with this kind of stuff like this yeah. like very loose like hey these this production company or this you know this famous person or this studio wants to make something based off of this very loose IP can what do you have a pitch and it's like what like it's like here's an article about this you know person here's a yeah <laughs> It's just like, oh, they want to make something about like the idea of of up somebody coming up in hip hop. Do you right. have an idea? And it's like you have no show. Like what? Like, or like what t- like <laughs> blank uh, wants to do a comedy now. Blank right learned French. Is there anything you can write where they can yeah, speak yeah. French? Right. And I own half of whatever you pitch, by the way. So it's yeah, like do right. all the work. And do all I'll the work. Take it to them. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, this is what it is. It's your bit, David, but this movie really is Lorenzo de Bonaventura, one of the most powerful men in Hollywood at this point in time, leaning back in his chair, like holding out the like director's like Panavision fingers, right? And staring off into the middle distance and going, what if there were four brothers? Like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Although, no, to be fair, he said, what if there were brothers and these two fuckheads walked in and said, what about four? And he gave four. them, that's the, you know, that's he, the number. He was like, I'll pay you a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. You can't leave this room. You can't take this to anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I think Wahlberg is the first person aboard and he brings Singleton aboard. Like that's their, yeah, their pals. There's a piece I feel like I talked about in our Shaft episode uh, that Shane Salerno wrote for Deadline when Singleton died about his experience working with Singleton on Shaft. Um, And in it, he mentions that they were flying somewhere for the movie and uh, Wahlberg was also in first class and the three of them and a fourth person I'm now forgetting all just uh, uh, talked about movies for like the entire flight, just sort of dorked out about movies. And Wahlberg was talking about how much he wanted to do something with Singleton. Uh, the other thing that uh, the great JJ uh, uh, Birch uh, now doing research for us on the podcast mm. pulled up a lot about a lot of really uh, incredible uh, excerpts of interviews with Wahlberg around this time where Wahlberg was kind of like, I made all these movies that I think are dumb. I worked with all these big directors that people told right. me would be good for my career and they were stupid and I was right. And Wahlberg... He's talking about inarguably the good movies that he has been in, basically. Well, look, here's the thing. It's half, it's half the good movies that he's been in and half... I was realizing this. The only Wahlberg movies we've covered on this show are all of Wahlberg's flops where he was miscast by an auteur, right? Where it's like That's The true, Happening, sure. Truth About Charlie, Planet of yeah. the Apes, where you could just tell the directors oh, were Planet like, of the Apes. look, you got to work with this person. To the point where when he's making this movie and Scorsese's trying to get him in... Uh, the Departed, and he's doing interviews for this movie. I guess when this movie's coming out, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know. I'm edgy about it. Like, right. because he's like, eh, they're telling me I can't turn down Scorsese. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Don't tell me I can't turn down Scorsese. Every time I work <laughs> with a good director, it's bad. Um, but I remember when, what's, what was it called? Broken City? Uh, Broken City is the, um, is that what it's called? One of the Hughes brothers. The Hughes brothers. Yeah, it's called Broken City. Yeah, The corrupt mayor movie with him and and Russell Crowe. I remember his press tour for that movie, which just like bombed and didn't really exist, was him going like, no, this is the kind of movie I actually like. I don't like all those other movies I'm in that you guys go see. This is the kind of movie my dad would have actually respected. This is what I wish I could be doing all the time. And Four Brothers feels like the beginning of him being like, this is when Entourage is starting up. He's had some big hits, but he's had some big flops on his resume. He's getting more active as a producer. And he's just like, I don't know. I kind of want to make like cops and criminals B movies. Like I want to make like inner city yeah. tough guy movies. Right. I, this is kind of a good run for him. You know, he's just this, done. Yeah. Yeah. Italian job and I Heart Huckabees. I Heart Huckabees is like obviously his best performance ever. I mean, ever. I guess you could argue for Departed, but like he's so like vulnerable and funny and like open in that movie. It's an incredible performance. It's and his mm-hmm. his response to it seems to be like, yeah, the movie was weird. I didn't like it. I don't, I don't fucking get it. I mean, but, I want to um, I want to read this uh, uh, exact quote here. Uh, He said, uh, this is in August 2005 to promote this movie. He said, imagine all my friends watching I Love Huckabees. They're like, it's pretty cool when you punch that guy in the face, but the rest of it, who gives a fuck? How am I going to explain an existential comedy to my buddy who just got out of jail? He wants to see tits and ass and some heads being busted. 
And then Rolling Stone says, does that mean more movies like Four Brothers and fewer movies like Huckabees? And he says, not necessarily, but that doesn't mean a fucking favor for every motherfucker in the business. I don't give a fuck if you've got Oscars. If you ain't fucking giving one to me, I don't give a fuck. I feel like Wahlberg has kind of uh, mellowed a little bit. He doesn't have this energy now, right? Right. Reading this was a flashback to like, oh, right. Like in 2005, Mark Wahlberg was still seen as the guy who might punch strangers he's aggro very very yeah Yeah, i he's still like he had this movie at tiff last year called joe bell that's like a true story movie you know like where he's like making an effort i don't think the movie is totally successful but he does occasionally still do it once in a while that's Mm -hmm. not really much anymore no now he really like it's peter berg for the lighter side, he does like Sean Anders, right? And that's kind of it. He's kind of just doing that over and over again. Uh, isn't there another guy? Oh, oh, Fuqua. Fuqua. He, His he new made movie is a Fuqua. Fuqua. Yeah, that yeah. feels like another guy who's a good match for him. But he had I guess like he's in the Uncharted movie, right? Like right. A, yeah. This was the run where he was kind of really finding his zone. I mean, obviously, like Departed after this, Definitely. Huckabee's the year before this. He has this run of like good mid-budget like thrillers and crime movies where he's really getting strong yeah, yeah right you're talking well yeah i mean he, yeah geez i mean like the big hit he's great in that three kings he's great in that the yards he's fantastic in. he's yeah. like yeah he does have a good i mean he's right he but he then he has the perfect storm well that's a hit but then planet of the apes yeah. Rockstar truth about charlie that's the sort of bumpy you're not quite an A-lister yet, buddy, sort of period for him, right? I think the thing for him was he was an ultimate example of one of those guys where it's like, you got to cast him properly, right? When he's bad, he's like calamitous, but used correctly, he's really powerful. And then, right, the year after this, he has Invincible, which is kind of like a surprise hit. He gets his Oscar nomination for The Departed. Invincible rules. I love that movie. Yes, good movie. I would love more movies like that. And and, do, Do you like Invincible any anyone Bray? Are you an invincible fan? Is that the football? It's the inspirational. Yeah, he becomes like an he, eagle. He's like cut know. off yeah, off yeah, the yeah. streets. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was good. So, I, I don't, directed I don't by Erickson Core, whoever that is. Yeah, you watch it on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, I don't know. But then he's um, in this like the shooter. We own the night. Happening is obviously a step back for him. Max Payne doesn't exist. Yeah, shooter is weird. Shooter stinks. We on the night is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Max yeah. Payne is awful. Right. He is really miscast in Max Payne. That is. <laughs> I never saw Max Payne. Oh, I mean, that's a bad movie on every well, level. And the Lovely Bones. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So Woo! then 2009 is Lovely Bones. That feels like the last time for a while he is that fundamentally miscast, right? And then he enters this zone where he finally becomes the A-list guy, where he's like right. in the pocket. Other guys, right. Fighter. Other guys, Fighter, Contraband, Ted, Broken City is the only one of that run that doesn't, that isn't a hit. Like, even Contraband comes out in January and makes, like, $90 million. Pain and Gain, Two Guns, Lone Survivor's huge. And then he takes over Transformers. And you're like, fuck. Now he's, like, got a franchise. His crime movies do well. He, like, hosts the Kids' Choice Awards. He does comedy and action and sci-fi and whatever. And you're like, I guess he's got it figured out. And then he sort of starts to, like, 
Oh, he does the gambler. Buddy, once again, you're misreading yourself. Right. All the money in the world is a huge misread. The Entourage movie flops. Ted 2 flops. Daddy's Home's a huge hit. But then, like, Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day both underperform. Transformers yeah. Last Night kind of kills the franchise. All the money in the world, as you said, like, huge misidentification. And then now he's in this odd zone where it's like, Mile 22 doesn't exist. Instant Family quietly rules. Spencer Confidential apparently was watched by 8 billion people on Netflix. I, I watch this bad. It's like the bad yeah. version of Four Brothers. Spencer Confidential. This was this was a, a Wahlberg detective movie with Winston Duke that Netflix claimed was like the biggest thing in the world and that no one has ever talked about. It sucks. Oh my God. It stinks. I, I did not see this movie. Yeah. It's, you know, based on the TV show. It sucks. Um, it's really four brothers though. Like it's set in Boston instead of Detroit, which only makes it more insufferable. Post Malone is it? <laughs> Post Malone is in it. That is true. Um, and you know, it's him like busting heads and getting yeah. you know into like digging into organized crime and like you know only Spencer. And it's right. just, it's 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 the bad version of this movie. Right. Okay. It just feels like every time he gets some juice in his career, he wants to go back and make a movie like this. And in 2010, they announced that they were developing a sequel, which I have to imagine was just because Wahlberg was hot and he wanted to do it. Like, I can't imagine Paramount was like, we need to get this off the ground. It was more like, if he wants to do that, we want to be in business with him. And then as you pointed out, even this year, Tyrese has been claiming it's still going to happen on Instagram. I, I, I want to address this because Tyrese apparently posted. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read his caption on Instagram. Paramount has officially greenlit a sequel to Four Brothers. No lies here. LOL. It's all over the net. The script is almost done to the sequel, I and mean, it's magic. Going to be cool as hell. Getting back with the crew. Hashtag Detroit. Give me four favorite quotes from the movie. Go. And then he links to the Hollywood Reporter article from 2010. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love you, Tyrese. <laughs> You're yeah. great. You're the best. Oh, my it's God. Like, clearly, he's like, oh, the script's so good. <laughs> I mean, it says so here in this Hollywood Reporter article. <laughs> the, the director is dead, and one of the four brothers is dead in, in universe. Yeah, in the movie. In the movie. Like, what? what is this sequel going to be? Is it five brothers, and you have to add two brothers? Right. Like, I like to use that. Or is it titled Four Brothers Negative One? Yeah, right. Four <laughs> brothers minus one. And maybe that's how you do it. It's four brothers. And then it's just that one Tyrese now sees uh, sees his dead brother. And it's just like uh, Umbrella Academy where he's just following hey, him. <laughs> look, I'd like that. Uh, yeah, but I do think, I mean, this movie was just like, Boventure had a good relationship with Wahlberg. Wahlberg wanted to do a movie with Singleton. They come up with this very simple premise. It does kind of feel like, I remember seeing the poster for this movie and going like, oh, it's that seems- cool freaking poster. Cool. It's a cool poster, but it was more just like, all I need to know, you're telling me these four guys are brothers and they got guns and they're going to take justice in their own hands? Like, I, I don't need to know anything else. I was I was going to say, like, it's so it's I always find it weird when I watch certain movies that have these kind of simple premises, but they're premises that I like. You know, I gravitate towards these mm -hmm. types of movies and yet the movie just somehow screws it up. It just it's not it's not good. It's 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 less the because I don't. I don't need a movie to be innovative all the time. I just want it to be interesting, exciting. I want the action to be good. I want the acting to be fun, you know? 
And I want it to just make enough sense so I'm not constantly questioning the logic of the of the film. And yet it feels like Hollywood has such a hard time making these types of of movies. And this that's why it's like movies like this, they stick out to me because I'm like, oh, four, yeah, I remember Four Brothers. Like that movie, like it, it did everything you wanted to do. It's successful in it. It's fun. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily, you're not like going home rethinking your life, but you're like, hey, I had a good time. I like, I paid money to go see this thing and it was worth the price of admission. Singleton's quote was, this is one of those Saturday night special movies. You have a good time and enjoy it for what it is. Like, you have to admire that he knew that's exactly what he was trying to deliver. Right. Um, This is now the third episode in which I'm, this is going to be brought up. But, uh, Bray, have you seen, uh, uh, for those who wish me dead, the Angelina Jolie fire movie? Okay, I literally, I'm not not going to lie, I literally put it on and then was, like, falling asleep. Like, it, I, I did not pay attention to that movie whatsoever. It, it right. just... It didn't capture you. It did not. Not at all, yeah. You're saying that that's a, a Saturday Night Special. Yeah, like, I, I love like, that movie right. for knowing exactly what it is with very capable actors and, like, over-delivering a little bit. And I, I said this on a Patreon episode, but I want to say this again on main feed. Any critic who gave that movie a bad review should be arrested. That should be illegal. Like it I just, think that is too hot a take, Griffin. I'm I gonna, don't. I'm gonna, I like that movie, but uh, I okay, go on. Keep no, going. No, because here's my thing. You don't have to say it's great. You can't criticize it. But the thing that drives me crazy is the amount of reviews I read for that movie where people are like, I don't know. It's just like one of these things. And I'm like, right, right, then you right. don't get to complain about every. $250 million movie ending with a portal in the sky. Like, it's the same people who go like, why won't they give us movies that don't have the portal in the sky? And then someone makes a movie like that that's a Saturday night special that isn't Oscar bait, right? And it feels like anything in between those two polls, they like, a lot of people don't know how to process anymore. Yes, it's it's weird. And say Four Brothers came out now, it would probably get a similar reaction. Yeah. Not the Four Brothers is the you know reinvention of cinema or anything, but yeah, people would be like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of what's the deal? That they're just brothers. I didn't get you know. It didn't really grab me. And it's like you know what? We need more movies that don't really grab us. Okay, they're I'm, just pretty I'm confused good. by why this thing exists. It doesn't seem to set up any spinoffs. What? <laughs> yeah, no. It's like you want more sort of like good junk food movies like this and yeah. movies that are like made for adults are not sophisticated but are like intelligently crafted adult uh popcorn which i feel like watching singleton's hollywood uh sort of blockbuster run these couple of weeks has really made me long for yes um i just want to throw out a, a wild uh stat here uh, uh, from IMDb Trivia, so who knows how well this is sourced. Uh, Betty White was apparently considered for the role of Evelyn Mercer. Can it, you imagine how distortive it would be to watch this movie would today? Would ruin the movie. Yeah. Well, I guess, it, it, you know, this is pre-Betty White as living meme, right? Like, it would be right, <laughs> right. before then. It right. would have worked at the time. She would have been like... I, Griffin, I... I'm not sure that it would have worked at the time. I'm going to be honest with you. It might have. I don't know. 
because uh, she had been in bringing down the house. Isn't she kind of doing the Betty White thing and bringing down the house? Yes, she is. But yeah, right. you know, I sure. feel like she probably would have been doing the Betty White thing. Yeah. Like I don't know. Right, right. It might have undercut the because <laughs> they did try to. The movie tries to like make you feel like no, no, no. This is a real mother who like cares about these <laughs> these men and these men respect her. Sure, she's really good, but it does suggest that they really were like we are looking for a nice little old lady with white hair. <laughs> like who you got? Like if Betty White was their first choice, yeah. yeah. Seriously, the the Bobby list was Ethan Hawke, Matt Damon, and Affleck before they go to Wahlberg. Wahlberg brings on Singleton. And then I imagine Singleton, I don't imagine, I read interviews to back this up. Singleton immediately went, I, I'm obviously bringing Tyrese on again. Why break the streak? And then right. Andre was his big like project where he really wanted him to do this. And I think everyone was like, Andre Benjamin feels like a guy who should be like a, a movie star, but was very reticent to take his steps into it. Uh, because he wanted to manage his career properly. And the bizarre uh, thing that JJ pulled up here is that uh, Andre, uh, (laughs) I'm just going to read this verbatim. Uh, Andre initially turned it down because he, quote, just wasn't sure he could play a guy with three brothers. And then Andre Benjamin's... Further quote is, I'm an only child in real life. I love being by myself. That's where I feel most comfortable. I didn't think I'd make a plausible sibling. They're two in their heads about the brothers. All these guys. That is so, that, first of all, that's hilarious. But also, it worked out because he was the brother yes. who was kind of the most estranged. Yeah, it's true. And it, like, he's actually, the distant it, it one. Felt, it felt right. Like he, was like, yeah. he was like, he's in it, but you always feel like he never felt like he really belonged in this crew and he has to like put it on, you know, and you're like, right. oh, yeah, he's playing this role great. He seems a little bit out of removed. Yeah. He seems like he's the one who's a little more elitist and judgmental. The whole movie, most of its tension comes from trying to figure out whether he's with them or against them. And like, right. that's not the way probably anyone else was envisioning using Andre 3000 as an actor at this point. Like, if you think about Heya being two years earlier than this and be cool being exactly the part exactly. he's probably being offered 8,000 times a week. It's right. smart Hilarious for rappers. Yes. Singleton to use him this way. And then, uh, yeah. And then the, the headland part was just like, okay, here's a role for one of the white guys. We're testing yeah. out whether or not he could be a movie star. And Renner and Cooper were apparently both in the running for it. Uh, mm-hmm. but headland's much younger. Headland's 20. Yeah, because he had, as I, I love to think about, he was the runner-up for Ryan in the OC, for the lead yes. role in the OC. And uh, it, again, I'm, my new favorite podcast is the OC Recap Podcast, mm. the Rachel Bilson hosts. And she, the, the casting agent came on, and this is crazy, and said that Chris Pine was the other runner-up and Wild. was rejected because he had acne. He had, like, bad skin. <sighs> Which is crazy to think about. Like he was like, I feel horrible saying this, but that was the network's objection to him. He had shitty skin. Wow. But anyway, Garrett Headland. So yeah, he's a baby. And when, like Tron Legacy is five years later, like he's not really a thing post this movie for a while. 
He's not really happening. Like No, yeah. I mean he does Friday Night Lights the year before this, right? And th- this is those two movies, this and that are like the this Do you know this guy came close to it getting is. that big show? This stupid thing. I mean, you talk about the weird ways that the industry thinks, Braylock. It is often Dude. better for Ugh. your career to not be hired for something that goes on to be a hit than to be in something that does okay. Because they're like, well, if they thought about him for this thing, Right. And it's like, right. but they and didn't they have a hit show. The only time I have ever had, like, I felt genuine momentum in my career is when I didn't get hired to do the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> and that was like the only time where I started getting jobs by reputation because they were like, well, I don't know. They thought about you. And I was like, yeah, my screen test was a disaster. Like, but it didn't matter. The fact right, that they had right. considered. Because yeah. it just, something it, like that. It meant you were on the list of young actors that, right. that they, you know, whatever, the pool that they dipped into the, to it's find It's very turtles. much a monkey see, monkey do yes. industry. And, yeah. and the Friday Night Lights movie is a lot of those, like, kind of young guys. And then this movie, it's like, oh, wow, you're putting him, like, above the title with, like, one proven movie star and two, like, very famous musicians who are also becoming movie stars. Right. I guess he's a dude. And then it feels like for like seven years, he was one of those guys who was constantly on those short lists about testing for the young, blonde, handsome guy in any tentpole movie. Like it just felt like he was always in the mix. And then Tron was the one he got. And then that didn't really connect. And then kind of right after Tron, he starts having a really interesting career as more of a character actor where he starts right, doing right. like Lewin Davis and shit. He's really good in Lewin Davis. Um, I, I enjoy him in Billy Willin. I He's, feel like we shouted him out in that. Maybe the best performance in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. I like him more when he's doing that, when he's off to the side a little bit. I think he's good in Triple Frontier. He's good in Mudbound. He's good in Mudbound. But like, he's pretty bad in Pan, which is like he where he plays Captain mm. Hook, where he's being asked to be like the sort of like charismatic movie star. He's... F- fine in Tron Legacy. I mean, that's a horrible role to get because obviously you're just being surrounded by noise and visuals and like, you know, that's... I... I really, I like him and yet I'm looking at his career and it's like, it's not like there's any slam dunks here. No. Like, what's my favorite Garrett Hedlund performance? Is it still his like silent performance in Inside Lewin Davis? Like, is that it? It's pretty undeniable. But like, but also he's great in, in Billy Lynn, which it's like... He is really good in that. You kind of have to give him props for that because as someone who hosts the podcast Blank Check and has watched Billy Lynn in four different formats, he is the one performance that plays equally well in all of them. Yeah, he's he's, he's genuinely good in that movie. Look, this movie is weird. Okay, there are four brothers. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg is, is alpha brother. And uh, like... In cl- yes, in classic Mark Wahlberg style... He's, I guess, his, what's his, he's just a dirtbag. Like, that's who, right. who he is, right? He doesn't even, like... He's got like, a hot head. He's a real hot, he's got head. A, he's got a hot there, head. Yeah, there's no actual description of the crime that he gets right, into. What he he's is, just, right. <laughs> it's like, does he sell drugs? You right. know, like... like <laughs> Cold open of the yeah. movie is Fanula Flanagan getting shot, right? Then you go to good, the credits. A good sequence. Great good, sequence. Chilly, like you said, Griffin. Like it's all snowy and kind of dark, and it's good. It's a good sequence, and it's also showing that she's uh, she's she lays down the law, but she actually really cares about she right. cares about this kid. Doesn't yeah. want him to get in trouble. 
Th yeah. Then you go to this credit sequence, the start of Singleton's use of like deep uh, 70s kind of dark ages of Motown on the soundtrack, which I think oh, gives the, this movie the soundtrack to this movie. Is... Really great energy. Really good. With these guys in the like bitter cold driving back home to this funeral, right? And then you get to them in the backyard post funeral. And then the scene with Josh Charles and Terrence Howard, where Terrence Howard like sets up the four characters, right? Yeah. Explains to his partner who they are. I reround this scene three times for the reason you guys just said, where I kept on being like, I feel like I missed a line. He like <laughs> starts setting them up and finishes setting them up and never actually sets them up. Like he It's just it's so it's we all know there are four brothers. There's the hothead, there's right. the army guy, there's the successful fi family man, the snob, and yeah. the rocker. Yeah. Like that, those yeah. are the four. And the little runt rocker. <laughs> He's the Those youngest. The four types of brothers. Don't let him exist. fool you. He's still a Mercer. <laughs> right. I think that's the line. That's a specific. Don't let him fool you. He's still a Mercer. And then they're like, they're like, oh, and this guy must be bad. No, actually, he's okay. <laughs> right. I just, yeah. Andrew, Andrew, he's chill. He's chill, chill. Nice guy. It's it's an odd dynamic, but I do like this energy of like four guys who are very different who do feel a genuine sense of brotherhood and i agree with you braylock right. it is the thing this movie probably does most successfully is just the the sibling energy between them yeah because you the it's like tyrese mark Wahlberg, headland you they 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 have that together right like they're all and then andre andre feels like he's up kind of somewhat outside of it but trying to join in at times and then at other times just being like you guys are idiots you know i'm staying over here yeah. you know so it that feels it feels right, but they're like, oh, these they care about each other. You kind of don't care about what their lives were, like how long it's been. Like they're like, oh, like there's just a general feeling that they've been away for some time, even though the one kid like seems like he's very young. So I'm like, how long has he been away? A year? Like he couldn't <laughs> possibly have been away that long, you know? But they, it's like they both have the feeling like they haven't been here in ten years, and also. They've been, they they were here like yesterday because they because they haven't skipped a beat like yeah. everything that they do in this movie there's it's just with the utmost confidence and like the only thing that's changed is that Victor Sweet has now like I guess taken over Arr! he's the head gang member of Detroit <laughs> he's taken over a restaurant and he's bossing everyone around. You were saying that this movie is sort of like overly stuffed with plot. There is like a chunk in the middle where I would say I would I started getting confused about what I should be caring about and what I shouldn't. Like in a Got movie it. like this, you go like, which threads do I actually need to pay attention to versus what is just superfluous kind of like exposition? Yeah, it's a revenge movie where they get their revenge pretty early on, but there's still like a good chunk of them hunting down the killers and killing the killers. And then there's but then right. we've got an hour and 20 minutes left. There's right? the mystery. Right. Right. And then it's like, OK, well, well yeah. something's up with Andre's character, you know, in, in terms of like public corruption and state senators and payoffs and all that. Uh, something's up with these. There's a corrupt cop. Like there's a whole Terrence Howard subplot to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then also there's like, okay. And also, okay. There's Victor sweet. Let's introduce you to Victor sweet and let's get this going. Cause this is going to be our major thing now. Like, which maybe takes like an hour. Yeah. yeah. Then he shows up and it's like, okay. 
I do think, I mean, we were talking about like, you know, Headland's a guy who just kind of gets lost in movies over a certain budget size, right? Like, I, I think this is a thing we often talk about when we break down careers is like some actors do not have the versatility to be able to find their way to do their thing in any type of project, not just genre, but like structure and budget and size and all this sort of shit. And, and you know, you forefronted this. Braylock with how much like Chiwetel's performance is is the thing that really sticks with you in this movie. It, it is kind of a good point where like up until this point, he was this very respected British actor who had gotten roles in movies that allowed him to like sort of act in a traditional sense, right? Like play right. a human being, handle real like intimate human drama and shit like that. And sometimes actors like this, when you start going like, hey, can we make you the and and give you like five scenes where you just kind of have to pop as the villain. You can tell they don't really give a shit about it or they can't figure out a way to do it. You know, they can't figure out a way to adapt their process to something where it's not really there on the page. And this yes. is that year where you go like, oh, Chiwetel can kind of do anything. Like he can kind of just look at the script and figure out how to elevate whatever you're giving him. He knows when to go big, when the choice is to not take it seriously at all. He knows when to, like, really drill down. He could be funny. He could be scary. He could be romantic. Like, yeah. he and, – and I also feel like he can fully own being the lead, and he can also be very generous about knowing, like, I know exactly what my part is. I know exactly how much I can do before it starts to disrupt the thing. It, it, exactly right. Which – because that's the thing is, you know, I, I, do, I do think a lot of actors get a, the chance at being just – this villain and they're like all right here's my chance to like ham it up and like kind of you know chew the scenery do do everything i can but as the like the audience you kind of feel that a lot of times like you feel them doing it and then you're like i don't know if i buy it you have to buy the fact that this person feels as dangerous as they as they are presenting a, a lot of people forget to actually uh bring tension to the plate <laughs> Overqualified right. actors playing underwritten villain roles. They're like, oh, I get to just like have fun. And right. it's like, no, but your right. your role in the movie is to create tension somehow. Right. Um, and so I just feel like he does. Because again, when we, he also brings a presence to a character that like when we first see him, it's, it should be like, who is this person? Why do I, what, what are we doing? <laughs> like, shouldn't I find out who this guy is at the end of the movie? Isn't this a mystery? You know? Yeah. But it's like, no, no, no. He's, he's the person looming in the background and we're like, okay, we're going to eventually have to deal with him. They're setting it up like Mark Wahlberg is going to have to face this guy at the end, but right, you but kind he, of, yeah. He has to set that up in essentially like two big scenes, right? Leading up right. to the finale. Like you need to introduce a guy this late, give him two scenes and make it still feel like he's in your mind. You're aware that that's the big bad they're ultimately trucking towards. Right. Can I offer though one thing of criticism, please? Yeah, only one. <laughs> okay. One. The shooters feel to me like they aren't they're kind of like dealt with really quickly. And I know obviously it's like we want to get to the big bad guy, but I do feel like like, that's a big part of their revenge, but I feel like it's almost like, all right, now that we got that out of the way, we got to figure out the guy who's behind them. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just yeah. putting myself in the shoes of, like, logically, wouldn't you want to go after the shooters? 
not necessarily take down the infrastructure of crime. Well, but- <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's Guys, a, we got to take down the infrastructure of crime. It's a weird structural <laughs> thing with this movie where it's like, this is a personal revenge thing, right? Then it's, wait a second, is our brother responsible for this? And then once they untangle that, they go like, oh, he isn't, but he is caught up in this thing. We need to save him. And I would argue the, the stretch where the movie loses a little momentum is in the middle between the two. When they've like gotten their revenge and they haven't cleared Andre Benjamin yet. And they're sort of like, how much do we need to care about the rest of this movie? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, the first of all, the hunt for those two shooters was awesome because that's yeah. the snow chase car scene yeah. and their cars are slipping around and cr- crashing into each other and then going again and it's like that was cool and then they but i i guess i don't i actually couldn't track when they found out that they were contracted killers if it was after before they killed them or after they killed them might but, be after <laughs> yeah yes. they definitely they definitely wiped those guys off the bat without asking a lot of questions yeah it was like boom boom get get their wallets right. you know communicating right. plot information is this movie's weakness where sometimes I will say, you go though, like has that been confirmed or am i just inferring this right right it's like oh i know their contract <laughs> right. i the audience member know their contracted right. killers as Mark Wahlberg know this guy? Like, I, I don't he know. Killed Bobby those knows guys. it. Yeah, yeah. Because he he certainly killed them. Like he knew that they, he was like you know. I will say though, once you know, and once it feels like everybody now knows that it's contract killers, I would say you don't care about that. Like those are the people they got paid to to shoot them. Yeah, you want them dead, but you also. The real revenge is the person who ordered the the hit. Right. You know that's the that's the real yeah. I, th- I feel like I don't I don't know. I've never uh, had lost a loved one to murder and <laughs> gone on a revenge tour. But if I did, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would want to hunt down the person who who hired. the. the I, I only have one brother. I could never put myself in the shoes of these characters. I, I mean, thank God I wasn't Impossible. asked to play the role. It would have been <laughs> very hard to relate. Yeah. Yeah. Four brothers. I can understand three, but. I should mention that after Andre Benjamin turned down the role because uh, he didn't think he could convincingly play someone with siblings, uh, he then uh, was on his uh, iTunes and uh, he got a computer-generated recommendation for an album by the folk revivalist The Brothers Four. And that he took as an omen. He called Singleton. He said, never mind, I'm doing the movie. So this is Andre Benjamin's career decision-making process. <laughs> I will rule out a role because I, I think imagining having multiple brothers is outside of my wheelhouse, but if an iTunes algorithm gives me the name of that movie in an opposite order, I'll take it as a sign that I have to do it. He He's... I think... What do you guys think of Andre? I think he's pretty good in this movie. I think he's pretty fucking good a- Against movie. type. Yeah. Um. Obviously, it's not like the richest role in the world, but he's he's good. I think he's a pretty talented actor. He's obviously an incredibly talented musician. Mm-hmm. He's never cashed it in or whatever. Like he's never had he never yeah. figured it out, I feel like. Like I enjoy him in basically any movie I've seen him in. How much has he been? How much? Cause okay. So he, I feel like this and Be Cool are the ones that yeah. I remember him from. Are, are you ready yeah. for the run? So the, Be yeah. Cool, Four Brothers, same year, right? Uh, before that, he does. Uh, uh, he did two. Uh, he did an anime dub, and he has a small part in Hollywood Homicide, right? 
The same year as this, he also does Revolver, a Guy Ritchie movie oh, that doesn't the, exist. Yes, the Guy Ritchie. It's <laughs> it, it exists. It's a famed bomb. It's it's sure. it's it's the one that's all like Kabbalah influenced. It's crazy. Yes. Uh, the, then this is the thing that I would argue kind of derails him. The following oh, year Idlewild. is Idlewild. Yeah, Idlewild. Yeah, yeah. Which I think everyone was like, well, clearly this should be Outcasts. <laughs> Purple Rain. Right. Their videos right. yeah, are yeah, so yeah. good. They're so compelling. Everyone thinks this guy's going to be a movie star. This is going to be their last album, and that movie is just like a total non-starter but more than anything he is really fucking boring in that movie i remember being like well come on like i know it hasn't gotten good reviews but andre is so good and then you see it in big boy pops and he is just like so low energy in that film i wish that movie was good yeah i do too i started watching scenes on youtube the other night because i was like is there any chance it's good and i didn't get it at the time and it's just kind of inert yeah and then after that, like forgetting some voice roles, like apparently he's in Fracture. I'm not yeah. seeing. Uh, he's in Battle in Seattle, the famously unreleased. Oh, he's in Semi Pro. And then, right, he's in Semi Pro. That was like one where now he's like above the title. He's the third lead. He's good in that. He's funny in that. And then he doesn't do another movie until the Jimi Hendrix movie five years later. Which was so hyped because yes. he kind of, you know. Kind of looks like Jimi Hendrix a little bit. And I guess just, you know, it's like, oh, he's a musician. This will be great. You know, the Jimi Hendrix, there's never been a good movie about him. been attached for like a decade to make some kind of Hendrix movie. He gets a Spirit nomination, but it feels like that movie didn't really get a lot of attention. And then he doesn't make it. Me neither. And then he doesn't make another movie for five years until High Life. And when he shows up in High High Life, Life, he's great in High Life. But you're like, why isn't he doing something like this every year? I feel like he's just chilling. I guess he, yeah, yeah I maybe, don't know. Maybe he, maybe it's not for him. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, I respect that. Like, he hasn't, like, wh- where is he in music-wise? I know he'll he'll pop in on other people's albums and he stuff. Does, um, he does a track on Frank Ocean's Blonde. Right. But, yeah. And he's great on good. that. He has a track on Channel Orange, too, I think. And, he, you know, but, like, I, I don't really I guess he was it. in the season two of American Crime. <laughs> Oh, right. I guess he was. You're right. <laughs> he did his Cartoon Network show. He did two seasons of that, Class of 3000. Uh-huh. Which yeah, he, I, I think, one. was very hands-on with. But, yeah, I mean, he yeah. hasn't done, like, a uh-huh. solo album, right? No, Okay, he did an EP in 2018 that was self-released. Yeah. I don't know. And that is the only like solo thing he's done since Outcast put up. Someone who is like so transformatively important as a musician when like basically my like the all the nineties and two thousands. And then yeah. just kinda I don't know. I guess he just kinda picks his spots now. He's only forty six years old. Have you all seen dispatches from elsewhere, this Jason Siegel show? No, is AMC. he on that? Yeah, he's one of the four leads. Wow. That sounded so weird, and I kept meaning to check it out, and I never did because there's too much TV. Siegel, Andre and- Benjamin, Richard E. Grant, Sally Field. Yeah. it's just so, It just feels like I remember I saw the trailer for this show, and I was like, wow, this show feels like a big swing. It's It's got 
It's got some names in it. And then I heard literally no one talk about it. And I was like, well, I guess it must not be good. I don't, I don't like, even I think feel it like got would... bad reviews. It's no. just people <laughs> yeah. are like, yeah, yeah, it was sort of interesting. And like, then that's that. It's on AMC and it just floats away. But that's one of those things where I'm like, is there just way too much TV? If that had come I mean, out six years yes. ago, would people be really into it? Does no one just have the time to check that out? I, I Genuinely, Griffin, I think you nailed it. No one had the time. Like yeah. and and it, it it you know it obviously it debuted like days before the pandemic right, right. like yeah. <laughs> and and it's just, yeah I guess everyone's just like sorry Jason I know you've basically been in like you know soft retirement in your back but we don't have time to like check out whatever this is from you yeah also I don't know if it's on streaming oh I guess I'm, I guess it is now it's on. probably on fucking AMC Plus or whatever this is the other right problem. that's the thing AMC has their own thing that's another thing that fucks them is just like. You have to subscribe to the AMC specific streaming service. Yeah. Come on. I mean, you guys realize you are saying we don't have time and it's a fucking pandemic. And I know. We all have been home. Well, here, no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about television during the pandemic. Television during the pandemic, one, it had to be on a streaming. You it had yes. to be bingeable. Right. Everyone yeah. knows. You know, you can't watch it on your phone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> sorry, Quibi. Uh, and you have to. And it also had to be somewhat of a escapist yes. kind of programming, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, maybe like this may destroy you. Maybe being like the only what there show were a couple that, like, things like that, right? That broke right. through because they were so good that right. people were like, okay, all right, we're gonna we're gonna pay attention to this. But yeah, mostly escapism. But yeah, and I think this was just a little too weird, not not bingeable, and. It it also got caught up because I feel like there was a lot of like high premise stuff like upload and you know right you know there's like Avenue Five and I don't know there was like a lot of like like oh this is kind of a weird quirky premise and I don't know I I just this one didn't this one didn't break through yeah it's weird because yeah. AMC does have a good track record but. Yeah. yeah, here's the thing I'll say about maybe it's great though maybe this maybe it's great. that's why I'm like fucking incredible like, right this maybe is this is my favorite show. I don't know. Um, I, I will say this about Andre, and I've been trying to find like a smarter way to say this. I'm just going to say the dumb thing. He does have such a natural musicality to the way he speaks. Like he is right. just so engrossing. He has bizarre speaking rhythms, you know, uh, right. in a way that doesn't feel too affected. Like he's able to play the low key guy in the group, but always be captivating. I mean, he's playing the calm one in this yeah. movie, uh, but he doesn't make the guy like a shrinking violet, which I, I think is, you know, like no small feat. Yeah. I mean, he 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 services the movie very well, I would say. He, he does kind of get stuck with the role that's like probably the least memorable because it just, you know, it's an action <laughs> type movie and he doesn't... Uh, we don't really get to see him do do much, but and he's gone for a big chunk of it. Like the whole sort yeah. of middle act of the movie is based around the fact where it's like, where is he? What's he up and, to? And Taraji is his wife in this. Like yeah. she, her her character is almost non-existent. Like it, okay, it, yeah, it, that it's almost a favor <laughs> that role. It's yeah, almost it's her like, being like, like, all right, this is Singleton. I mean, a double dipping with Taraji and uh, Terrence Howard from uh, Hustle and Flow at the same time, but also I feel like he was like single-handedly committed to making Taraji Pants in a movie star. 
from when she didn't get the role she should have gotten after Baby Boy. He just kind of stuck with her. And it was in the the notes that JJ put together, but an interview where he said he saw like Terrence Howard in The Best Man. He thought this guy was a star. He tried to get him for a part in um, Shaft, and he took a TV movie that I forgot existed. He played Muhammad Ali on an ABC TV movie that bombed. Hmm. And then Howard's career was kind of just like floating for a couple of years, like playing the bad guy in Big Mama's house. So then when he found Craig Brewer and the Hustle and Flow script, he was like, Terrence Howard should do this. And then he went to Terrence Howard and he was like, you should have fucking listened to me five years ago. I was ready to like make you one of my stock company guys. And he said that like he asked Howard to do this as a favor because he knew that he was going to pop when Hustle and Flow came out. He wanted to be a guy who could benefit from that. Pop. But like those were two people where he was just like, they should be stars. I'm going to keep on trying to put them in shit until Hollywood takes notice. Uh, she, yes. I mean, her role, she is so overqualified for this role at this point. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. kept on waiting for there to be any scene where she does anything. anything. I, right. But then it's, at it's least like, Sophia got like, at least she got, she had consistency. Like it, she was like the hot, crazy. She has like, like comedy. She's got like a character yeah. game. I don't know. There's like, <laughs> to be clear, to play. a little yeah. crazy. Her part. Yeah. Yeah. Of the yeah. movie, you are kind of like uh, we could have cut this, but yes, she has things to do. What are the two names they give her? One of them is Loco Ono, Living La Vida Loca. Right, that's the other. Oh no, one. yeah, she keeps he keeps saying that. I, I don't know, I forgot what else. He no, no, her. Th- he calls her Loco Ono and leave Living La Vida yeah. Loca. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, such a piece of shit. Yeah, you know he really is. He's he is like such he is. a fucking piece of shit. Like, I <laughs> love him, but he's such he's a terrible. motherfucker. He, he is. And, and this is this is like that classic, like, I, you, I, don't, I, I don't know if you can make characters like this that you love. Anymore. We're watching Lost, and it's the same thing with, like, Sawyer. You're just like, Sawyer is a horrible, racist, like, yeah. he's terrible a person. <laughs> he's, and then, yeah. like, and, and, like, it's like, oh, this lovable character, and you're just like, you can't make characters like this anymore. But also, but. like, look, the next year is The Departed, where he finds, like, his perfect yeah. role, right? Oh, my God. It's and, perfect. Right, and they're just like, what if you suddenly took the burden of being a leading man off of Mark Wahlberg and just said, shoot as many spitballs as you want, right? right? <laughs> and it's just the most thrilling thing to watch in the world, because when you watch him in this movie, you're like, is this guy like an issue you know like i should be having fun watching him like dick around with his brothers but sometimes he goes too far and the part of you're like go further i don't have to be rooting for you it's fine is is the rule of mark Wahlberg that he doesn't have to play someone from boston but he has to play someone from a city where they play hockey and he can wear a hockey shirt like he wears a red wings jersey in this and you're like yeah he like is he doing a detroit accent no he's just doing mark Wahlberg, but he's just kind of like yeah detroit it's like snowy or boston i yeah, get it detroit, it's boston it's the same like, yeah i mean this <laughs> like, is what's the, the difference this is the other rule with mark Wahlberg. mark Wahlberg's best when he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's playing low status right in a movie where yeah. like no one's taking him seriously they doubt him and he's got to prove that he's like with it and he gets it and whatever that's what like all his comedy roles have started using him so well to do and what russell got early on uh, you know, and then with things like the gambler or um, all the money in the world misidentify or you can have him be the guy punching down as long as he's not the lead of your movie, you know, 
But it feels like this is his mode that he wants to be in. And when you put him at the center of the movie, you sometimes go like, "You're a, take it down a notch. This, this, is, this is my favorite line from him. And it, it's it's horrible. But it, it's he's like, they're at the bar. And he's like, pour me and my brothers another round and some nice warm milk for my sister. And he's like, man, I'll drink you under the table. And he goes, we're not talking about sperm, Jack. This yeah. Is it's just like nonstop. <laughs> just like, why does anyone put up with him? He's so right. annoying. <laughs> it's also like, why is he the de facto leader of the group? Like, I get he's yeah. the lead character because he's the one played no. by Mark Wahlberg. No, but this, Griffin, this is a great question. Tyrese right. Gibson is in the military. He yes. is clearly better at all of right. these things. And he's bigger. Like, yes. He's like- is there any reason why this guy is the largest role of the four brothers other than that he's the one played by the most famous actor? And the answer I kept on coming back to is no. I think he's just like, he's the craziest. I right. mean, he he is crazy. He certainly yeah. will interrupt a high school basketball game with a loaded gun or with whatever. A loaded gun. <laughs> I got the just- rock now. Okay. Oh my God! That oh my God! When he goes, I got the rock. Now he does a couple of dribbles, and you realize that he is at least a foot shorter than everyone around him. Like truly, every single person around him. He he, he drops he drops a few and and words. Yeah. I would say at least one. Uh, I may, yeah, maybe a couple. Yeah. Couple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. the idea being he's you know in from this family i grew up with black brothers yeah right right but but still where you're like wow like unblinking Wahlberg. you just i mean I, he's I, he sells that this guy definitely would act this way i, I buy it totally right? totally I mean, I, yeah let's say three years later his agents would not have let him do this like to be like no. but it's it's realistic and they'd be like mark you cannot say that word on camera under any circumstances i don't care what you're playing you seem too happy saying it you're having too much fun um the imdb trivia fact i want to throw out here almost all of mark Wahlberg's lines were improvised garrett headland had difficulty improvising his lines so director john singleton and mark Wahlberg helped him through it what that sounds like to me is mark Wahlberg kept on insulting garrett headland a 20 year old <laughs> actor in a lead role for the first time on camera and Singleton had to be like, come on, just say something back. You have to say yeah, something back. Come on, yeah, right, stand up to him. You're a right. foot taller than him. Right, but it does feel like those scenes are him being like, hey, fuckhead, stop drinking so much, come. And the headline's like, hey, come on, guys, I like girls. <laughs> like, his his comebacks are very, they make sense when you realize they were not in the script and Headland was thrown off. It's just, it's, I mean, Headland works in this movie in that he feels like the youngest brother yeah. who is just kind of along for the right. He's like the lookout. 100%. But uh, he's not bringing a lot to the table in terms of crime fighting. No, I guess. And, it's like, and his <laughs> character is the most underwritten, but he looks really fucking cool in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah he's ben, I, ben, please speak, speak to this. Yes. Yeah. When I saw this movie in theaters, uh, I then was, I remember asking my girlfriend at the time to try and cut my hair like his hair. He's got that thing. I, I don't think I've ever seen anywhere other than on, on this head where he's got like the long stringy sideburns. Do you know yes. what I'm saying? That's what I loved about it. Yeah. It, it does work. It's weird. It's weird that it works. Cause I'm like, not a bad looking dude. No, Just, like, it, it works for him. This he sells freaking it. Yeah, it didn't look good on me. 
<laughs> I was going to say it's not it's not fair to say his character was underwritten because we have a scene where the mom looks at him and says, I know you went through some really bad things before you got here. Yes. And he is shaking in fear. So we know. We know. He went through some really bad things. We know he went through some really bad things. And then, look, <laughs> Hedlund plays all of those moments really well. Like, Very real. I believe it. Even yeah. just his his sort of, like, bottled crying at the funeral. Like, every time they cut to Hedlund and give him a shot where he has to express a lot with zero dialogue, he that guy knows how to fill up with emotion. Like, he's he's and, there. And he must be like, look, this is my, I, you know, these yeah. guys are all, I, I got to make a, an effort with every bit of material right like you know he's clearly trying but i i die on page 75 i gotta do as much as i can yeah i, I gotta say i was kind of surprised he died kind of that kind of shocked me i figured the brothers were gonna make it yeah yeah man it's it's dude it, it the death rocks you one of the brothers dies man yeah. it's a, you know sometimes sometimes the brothers die and that's why you gotta kill chuatel it's before you got to kill victor gotta Sweet. get him gotta get him and they got to set him up. Talking about cold crime, snow crime, and all of that. It, you know, it's like Fargo obviously does this really well. But when you get to this final uh, Andre versus Truitel standoff, I just love that visual when you have the ground and the sky are the exact same color of white. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When it's just ice and snow and a totally white sky. And it's yeah. just like characters existing in like a void. It's it's unnerving. Uh, they, Very. I read the 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 warmest it ever was when they were filming this movie was twenty four degrees, and it was often below zero. Wow, Jesus! Wow, crazy that that's like a major American city. It sounds cold. Yeah, and I live in New York. New York is cold. It's not like New York is Toronto hot and Detroit. Toronto and Detroit, like the the most major city in one country and one of the most major cities in another country. Uh, both presented as inhospitable in this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, there's one other part where Victor Sweet is like, uh, I guess they're at, uh, I don't know if it's a dinner table or the poker table. And he looks at it. This other guy, he's like, oh, you got married. And he's like, yeah, maybe I'll have to take her for a ride. And like, there's a look that he gives that is maybe the most disturbing look I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> where it just... <laughs> the lust and like villainy in his eyes is just like truly it, it, I like had to look away it was so so crazy he's like the fucking mad king from Game of Thrones yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. like he's playing like a, a pretty small time Detroit crime guy yeah. and he's acting yeah. like he's like I am God and if I look at yeah. you you turn to stone like that's how much energy he's putting well, at, that, at the end that fucking fur coat and that like he's got like what looks like a $25,000 ski cap right like he's wearing like a white <laughs> ski cap that looks like it's made out of chinchilla or something <laughs> Um, an interesting thing about Chuatel is he has those interesting scars on his forehead, right? Right. Those are his. Those He, he got right. those when he was a kid or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, they don't cover them up in movies. I feel like certain films, they accentuate it more. But I do think it's interesting that, like, in his roles where he is playing, like, you know, his sort of, like, sophisticated man fighting against injustice, right? Even from, like, the obvious, like, 12 years a, a, a slave scale to, like, his dumb paycheck version of that is 2012, where he's, like, begging the president 
to acknowledge that the world's about to end. I feel like those scars lent him like a sense of vulnerability and depth of just like, oh, this is a man who has like suffered, you know, there's like such a well of feeling in him. And then when you put him in villain roles like this, it makes him more menacing as well. Like it can both be a vulnerability and an additional element of intimidation for him. He's also just got such a fucking interesting face. He's got a great face. He's super handsome, but super, you know, interesting to look at. His voice is just phenomenal. Like, he just has the most, like, rich voice. Yeah. Uh, And like I said before, like, I just appreciate that he'll do a lot of stuff. You know, like, as much as maybe Hollywood has shortchanged him. Like, I do, like, for, for crying out, like, remember when he was in... Like the Maleficent sequel. Remember when he was yeah. the, the sort of villain in the old guard? Like, yeah, he's great he just, in the he'll old pop guard. in. Oh, he's yeah, right. yeah. great in the old guard. Yeah, and even the the Fuqua Wahlberg trailer that just came out this week. Have you guys watched that? I haven't. Uh, Infinite is this movie we're yeah. talking about, uh, which was going to come out in theaters. Now it's going to debut on Paramount Plus. Here's my pitch for watching that trailer. Uh, Chewie is going for it. Right. Totally shaved head, big beard, big performance choices. That sounds good. As a villain, just intimidate Mark Wahlberg, like more of this. It just feels like him trying to outdo this character. That is one of the movies, especially because Wahlberg got so in the Peter Berg zone that it is surprising he's making this kind of high concept sci-fi movie with Antoine Fuqua. You know, like that seems like a swerve, but then it's too bad. It's like going to Paramount. I mean, maybe it's horrible. I don't know. But like, it sucks that it's going to Paramount. Like, because he'll probably be like, yeah, fuck that. I should just do Peter Berg movies, right? Like, that's the lesson I I learned. I read a piece this week somewhere, Hollywood Reporter or something, about how uh, angry Wahlberg was about that and Fuqua as well. And how this was one of many cases where they literally were not notified. They found out when the story broke. I don't. I understand that Hollywood is run by morons, and I understand yeah. that their reaction to the pandemic was especially moronic, and they were like scrambling and yada yada yada, and they're all owned by these companies that are like, "Why don't we have Netflix?" You know, they're just yelling that all the time. Sure. But it's so weird that that's what they've done. Like, you would think the one thing yeah. they remember how to do is massage the egos of super famous people you want to work with. Again. Yes, like it's yes. just come on. You know, you call Wahlberg and you'd be like, it's going to be the biggest thing for Paramount Plus. It's great for us if you can do this. You know what I mean? Like, sell him on it, right? That we're going to change the logo. It's going to be you on top of the mountain. Um, It'll be Wahlberg Plus. Yeah. Um, But no, but like, I I feel like this week that we're recording this was the debut of, uh, you know, obviously this is a a thing we love talking about in this show. What I think inarguably is the greatest uh, logo of any movie studio ever, which of course is a Warner Brothers discovery. Uh, Yes. Now, to be fair, that is not the Uh logo that would play before a movie. That is the corporate logo. Thank God. Uh, it still it sucks farts. It sucks farts through a straw. And yeah, I'm about to look this up. Oh, Bray, just Google Warner Brothers Discovery logo. I mean, it looks like something that maybe you cooked up in. I don't know w- w- how generous should I be, Griffin? One minute? Wait, this two? is the actual image. It, no, what? here's what here's what it looks Wait, like. This is the real image. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It looks like a like a Gateway 2000 screensaver option where you can pick any text you want exactly. and it makes it into it like looks, it looks like clip art. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
And also the fact that it says the stuff that dreams are made of. Like, the, the, well, is, <laughs> is that a tagline that you just get? David, like, yep. this is why I bring this up because the whole the press release with that. that dreams are made of. Yeah, don't end with a fucking proposition. The whole press release that came with this logo is them being like, we are reestablishing Warner Brothers Discovery as the number one place for artists to tell stories. We love artists. We are about artists now. Like, the whole thing is them trying to damage control for how much uh, AT&T pissed everyone off with the HBO Max deal. Where they're like, "We're we're not using the word content stories we love stories and artists dream stories artists dreams here are the clouds <laughs> i mean it uh, it's a it's a line from the maltese falcon and you know w- what summons the you know history of noir more than that beautiful logo that looks like a bunch of it's just a bunch of golden letters hanging in a blue sky it makes Warner me Brothers think of should bogey. stop dicking around <laughs> and just replace the shield with bogey's face right yeah, because for be years they had the Casablanca song underneath the logo. Now it's the logo with a, with a different bogey tagline. Just make it his smiling face. Make it like the, the Animaniacs popping out of the water tower, right? <laughs> the WB shield and it flips open and you have Zemeckis with a reanimated bogey. Say, hey, come on. So I want about this picture. I love bogey. <laughs> four brothers. Okay. What have we not talked about with four brothers? I do want to shout out Josh Charles, who is in yeah. this... Like I said, in SWAT the year before, maybe two years before, he plays the exact same character, like weak, mm-hmm. chinned, corrupt cop. Uh, what w- w- what happened there? Like, I guess the good wife, he just sort of saved himself. But like, like post sports night, is he just he's just kind of like, what, you know, what what do people want to do with me? And this is all they can think of. I think, look, Josh Charles also like quit good wife at like arguably a peak of the show because he was like i don't know i was just kind of tired of doing it it's true he's a guy who does not really buy into like career strategizing and just is like i don't know i feel like doing this like you have to imagine his reps were like josh you cannot play another correct cop in an august blockbuster you were going to be typecast forever and he's like no i'm gonna do it again <laughs> john singleton will be fun <laughs> the the and then specifically his character detective fowler who kills terrence yeah. howard in cold blood uh yeah. in, a, in a pretty good little showdown scene but then gets totally totally fooled by this like insane plot that tyrese comes up with where it's like yes i'm gonna pretend that i'm recording him on a wire and the cops will be summoned and he'll think they're there to kill him and thus fire on them. Like there's just a lot of assumptions being made. <laughs> a lot. It's a, it is, it is a huge swing. It yeah. Really? Let me it, tell you, because yeah. there are so many ways for that to go wrong. Just it goes exactly timing, how they you know. want it to go. It goes exactly <laughs> how they want but it, it to go. It perfectly. Couldn't go better. Like he could have just came out, held a gun. And then the guy would have been like, what are you doing? Uh, we thought you were the suspect and he would have been like, Oh, I am. And I got the drop on him. And then that would have been done. <laughs> like, you know, like if he had a, if he had just a, an inkling of communication skills, he could have got out of it. But he was like, I'm going to go out in a blaze of gl- glory. I mean, wild, but the, the cops are literally like, we're here to help you. <laughs> like put the gun. Down. We're here to help you. And, and he's, he's like, like, I'm not going to jail. <laughs> Fuck you. I definitely want to shoot you. 
It also feels like the cops are like, hey, we haven't been watching this movie. Can someone give us a quick <laughs> run of plot points? We don't it's care about Tyrese. <laughs> having a hard time tracking the major events that have passed in the last couple hours. Oh, I mean, man. I guess the idea is that he thought he was going to die no matter what, because right. if they think that he killed Terrence Howard, who is mm -hmm. also a cop, you know, cops come after cop killers pretty hard. Uh, and who knows what they would do. So, but I, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch, but you know, you you buy it. At that point in the movie, you buy it. I prefer the Andre plan. I like the idea of just like, you know, like, no, I'm a, I'm a pro-union guy. I take care of my workers. Honestly, the Andre plan was the only plan they need. I mean, I don't even know why they needed to call the, like, because did he call the cops? They Like, they called the cops. Right. It's true. They, Wait, like, right? Sophia, Sophia was a part of the plan, right? Like, yes. she's yes. the one who told. Yeah. So it, it's one she, of those things where she goes to the cops and says, "This guy, like, they're gonna kill a cop at you know here," and so the cops are right. going there to ostensibly rescue Josh Charles. It's not like she right. went to the cops and said, "You got to get Josh Charles," and they just. They they do such a great job. Just uh, yeah, it's look, it's it's it's. It was one of those things where you kind of like, why wasn't it just the wire? Like, why did you have right. to do right. this switcheroo? Like, get it, his confession. It could have it could have just been that, and everyone would have been okay with it. But it was like, no, 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 that's what people expect. Let's have them be even smarter. They'll 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 say it's a wire, but it wasn't even a wire, you know, because they weren't able to do that. And you're like, oh, okay. That's where the movie frustrates me a little bit. And it's just because, like, Singleton directs this well. You have such a capable cast. It's yes. such an engagingly simple premise. It's such a, like, pleasantly unpretentious movie that knows exactly what it's doing. And I just kind of wish there was, like, 10% less incomprehensible overthought plot mechanics and 10% more just kind of like character investment. Like I literally just feel like I want 10 minutes distributed across the movie of, of them being brothers beyond what right. there is in the film. Right. Right. That's fair. And instead there's like insane shootout scenes. And then Terrence Howard shows up and is like, yeah, this is no problem. I can cover this. You know, like it's fine. It's fine. No one's yeah. gonna, no one's gonna ask you any questions about this. It's no big deal. Yeah, they probably could have had one less, you know, interrogation four brothers interrogation of somebody. They had like maybe like right four. There there are scenes <laughs> you know? that are raw though. Like that scene where the Wahlberg interrogates the guy and the, then doesn't shoot him, and the guy says, "Thank God." And Wahlberg's like, thank Victor Sweet and shoots him where it's like, that's nasty, but I kind of like yeah, how right. brutal it is. Like, I, you know, this is not a, right. a totally easy to root for hero. Right. No. And it, and there's the the Sofia Vergara uh, washing machine sex scene, which is once again, just like specific choices are being made here. <laughs> this movie has. I mean that was you know that was that was that was for the teenage boys. Like, sure, <laughs> they put that in there for the for the teenage boys. Could you just imagine like going on to the, like be a time traveler going back to the set of Four Brothers in two thousand four and go like, which person in this cast do you think is going to become like a mogul in fifteen years? 
Right. Sofia Vergara is always on those lists of the highest earning stars in Hollywood where right. you're like, she makes $50 million a year selling like right. coconut water or whatever. Yeah, she just has a, right. She is America's most beloved like uh, shopping uh, figure, right? Yeah. You know, like she does like Kmart, she does Pepsi, she does Head and Shoulders. She's got like all the, you know, products. She's married to Joe Manganiello. That's wild. I don't think I knew that. Oh, yeah. No, she's married to Joe Manganiello. She was married to someone else. They yeah. got divorced. Joe Manganiello, I believe, literally was like, she's getting divorced, got in a plane, <laughs> flew to a set where she was filming, and he's like, I've had a crush on you for a long time. I'm not missing my window. Please. I believe that's the story. That's incredible. Yeah. And also respect. Respect. Yeah. Uh, glad, glad for a very hot couple, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yes. Nick Loeb. She was engaged to Nick Loeb. Yes. It was called off. And right. Manginello, you know, Roushed in <laughs> yeah, he fucking nightcrawler teleported to her or whatever. <laughs> fucking... He bamfed. Yeah. He bamfed. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing here, you know, these numbers are always like sketchy, but I'm seeing here that her net worth is $180 million. That's a lot. That she was... Wow. Making five hundred thousand per episode for the last couple of seasons of Modern Family. Right, right. Uh, she makes ten million dollars for America's Got Talent. I wasn't even aware that's a thing she does now. Yeah, yeah. Like she just does everything. Um, yeah, she's she's kicking ass. I mean, Finola Flanagan, to be clear, is worth two hundred and fifty million dollars. So she does have Absolutely. her beat, right? <laughs> but that's because uh, Finola Flanagan uh, invested in the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, Finola Flanagan owns Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um I wanted to talk about in Four Brothers the use of gasoline. Mm, which it's a lot of, pretty lot of gas. Early. Early. A, early. He's yeah, like, Yeah, let's yeah. do the gasoline thing. What what gasoline thing? We pour gasoline all over him, make him think we'll set him on fire. That's what I'm talking about. Like how many <laughs> how many plays they have? Like, oh, let's do the that play. And it's like that routine, that never works out for us. It's like you do this often? This reflects so yeah, poorly well, on the mom. This is what I'm saying. Yes. Flanagan, it's like you should have maybe stamped out the the gasoline antics. You know what I the mean? The Bear Shabaka Henley scene is banana. Here's the thing. They're villains with the heart of gold. They do have hearts of gold. <laughs> sure. And, and they look like congressmen compared to what they could have been. <laughs> and they're like congressmen compared to what they could like, have been. They could have been Victor Sweet. They could have been Victor Sweet. <laughs> I guess you're right. You would have just had four Victor Sweets on your hand. Is that the idea? I don't know. Yeah. And I guess she's probably thinking like, look, Andre Benjamin, that guy worked out. Yeah, Garrett Hedlund, he's a sweetie. Tyrese is in the army. Wahlberg's the one where I fucked up. Wahlberg is really, he's the real chaos agent. Yeah. yeah. He's the one with yeah. the gasoline. Right, he's not even like a successful criminal. He. And let's also say, I mean, let's acknowledge she like fostered a lot of kids successfully of kids. Right. who then went off yes, to other families. Yes, these were the four... The four that she actually kept because right. they were no nobody. They wanted were the them. complete fuck ups. Yeah, so that's how you would do a sequel. You would add in some brothers who are, I guess, straight laced brothers. That's a good I don't point, know. Right. right? You you add on uh, uh, Vincent Cassell and Eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, well, four or yeah. you could do four sisters. You could do kind of a side sequel. Wait a second, David. 
Hold what, on a second. What, Ben? What, Ben? Four sisters? <laughs> They'd laugh. I know. I'm pitching it. I'm like, look, I know you're going to laugh me out of your office. Please, please, please. Let me just get through this pitch. Okay, sisters. The guy's like, David, I don't know. And I'm like, four sisters. And he's like, what are you talking about, four sisters? I have to take this to the boss? <laughs> I just imagine, though, that these fucking, like, executives, junior executives at these studios are, like, going through filing cabinets, looking at every title they own and going, like, is there a gender-flipped version of that? Is there a right. version where I can literally just change two words in the title right. and now you know it's about women? I mean, what men want. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm just surprised almost they haven't been, like, it's four sisters. I don't know who gives a shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think this movie is fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, the at the end, we've talked around it, but they pay Vincent Sweets, uh, sorry, Victor Sweets, uh, cronies to to dump him in ice because he sucks yeah. and nobody likes he's, him. Yeah. He sucks and he's been disrespecting. All, he made some of them eat off the floor. Yeah. He put yeah. them in the diaper. He's threatening to have sex with their wives. It's responsible union and, members. And that pasta, that pasta looked good. And right, it there's a union bond yeah. too. But here's the thing: who's gonna do it, right? And that's what they say. Who's gonna step up to the plate? And then who shows up but the lone man walking out of the fucking yeah. beyond, yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. So ridiculous. <laughs> How did he get there? What did he He was wrong? waiting in the horizon, man. <laughs> he, yeah. was, he knew he knew the exact place he had to be. Yeah. You know, so that the snow would the snowfall would cover him. And then he timed it perfectly where he was like, Okay, I think now is the time. I feel like right now is the time. Where Chiwetel, Victor Sweet is wondering, who's going to kill me? And he walks perfectly out. And then he's like, yeah. there he is. Wahlberg's just standing out there in the cold. Hey, man. Chiwetel takes two steps to the left. He has to take two steps to the right. Yeah. So he's still obscured. <laughs> like he has to keep on adjusting vantage points. Chiwetel kills that scene. Oh. To be clear. It, it, he, he is really so does. good. So good. I like the way you do business. Oh, who's going to, oh, who, you going to do it? Yeah. All that stuff. All his, like, sort of vamping. And they drop him in the ice. They do. They sure do. Look, next week, we will talk about uh, abduction, which neither of us have seen, David. But Oof. by all accounts, is that's is a, That's a tough one. Right. By all accounts, that's the one where he kind of, his voice as a director becomes anonymous, right? Right. But, it's just not a winner on any front. Right. right no one but, really sticks up for abduction. But but his three big, you know, kind of Hollywood action movies that he made, Too Fast, Shafts, and Four Brothers, I, I do think are interesting i know so much of our podcast has become like the fucking both of us being eli wallach going back in my day they used to do things this way in the industry right but i i think watching these three movies underlines a key difference in how the industry works now where it's like if you are a director who makes your small personal dramas your indie films whatever and you get the call to step up and get to make a bigger kind of movie star driven blockbuster. The machinery is so big now. The stakes are so high. The budgets are so high that it is very hard to work as much personality and individualism as I think Singleton does in these three movies for their failings. They feel of a piece 
with his earlier films. You see the things right. that he's bringing to them. Not just that he was like a very skilled craftsman. These films are very well shot and constructed. He's good with actors, but you have like his interests on display there. You know, you have his personality, you get his sense of humor. Uh, as Bilga pointed out, how much his movies are about like male rage, right? Like men dealing with yeah. anger they don't know how to place. And, uh, you know, if you get hired from doing Boys in the Hood to getting to make a $200 million superhero movie, you get kind of sucked up in the machinery. We've seen it. I mean, very few people come out with movies at that size that still feel individualistic rather than movies like that where you go, oh, there are like two or three scenes where I see their thing. But a lot of it was directed in previs by a board, you know, Uh, or it was taken away from them in the edit and it's not really what they wanted to make. And this is sort of like, you know, this career turn for him is representative of a point where you could go big and still kind of retain uh, control of your filmography. It still felt like your work. Uh, you know, and and it's like I feel like you were watching a lot of shitty superhero movies in the early days of the pandemic, David, like texting me about it mm. and being like, it's weird that this movie feels quaint now. Like, and you said that right. to me about like Green- the first X-Men or whatever. Right. Green, Green Lantern. Green Lantern yeah. I was like, you've gone too far. You can't say the Green Lantern feels quaint. Yeah. But it is true. I, there is something I miss about standalone superhero movies now where you just imagine John Singleton in 2004, 2005, 2006 at this time. I mean, I really think probably him signing the Paramount deal is what killed uh, Luke Cage is is now right. Sony has Luke Cage and he's committed to a different studio. But you imagine him doing a Luke Cage movie with Sony in 2004, 2005 that probably would have cost like 40 or 50 million dollars. And you're like, mm-hmm. that could have really been an interesting movie. It would have been pretty good probably right. it would have been flawed but it would have been and it would have been beginning middle and end as you're saying it would not right. have been you know setting up a bunch of you know it would have been like yeah here's this guy you don't know anything about him you're gonna meet him you're gonna meet all his friends you're gonna meet the villain he's gonna fight the villain he's gonna win and everyone then someone's gonna kiss and it's just like they just don't you know they don't, it yeah. wouldn't have been two netflix seasons where four hours of story are stretched out to literally 20 hours it wouldn't it's be so what will happen if feige reboots luke cage in some way and it becomes way too high stakes you know especially because luke cage's whole thing was like this is the street level guy this is the guy who doesn't get involved in the big cosmic marvel shit who's looking out for people on the corner and shit i i wish that movie existed but i also wish that movies like that period still could exist we'll play the box office game bray is there anything left you want to say about those four brothers all four. That's crazy. All, all or anyone. You can pick one. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, yeah, it was, it's just, it's a fun movie for what it is. And like I said, like, if you don't, if you don't like action movies, you, you probably won't like this one. And you have to, you know, sit, of course, with any movie that's made, <laughs> honestly, more than five years ago. <laughs> it's like, you have to sit through some stuff that you're like, ooh, okay. But like, it's still, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know. There there's something about that 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 definitely works, and I I I enjoyed rewatching it. I definitely en- I enjoyed it when it came out. I watched it a few times. I think it was just like, oh, this is a cool action movie that you know just kind of does its thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it, yeah. Know. To me, it was like it proved John Singleton can do. Like, it was like he doesn't need to just write something 
personal about race. You know what I mean? Like he can do just like this kind of movie and he would have been great at it. Like it would have been interesting to, to see him have more flexibility. He could have done 10 more of these. Yeah. Yeah. He literally could have done 10 more of these. Uh, Now I'm trying to find it, but there was some interview with him where he just said like, I love Westerns. That's what I grew up watching. This was like me making a Western. Right. You know? Yeah. Makes sense. I will say though, this and this box office was August 12, 2005. This box office is pretty cursed. Wow. And it is pretty indicative of how creatively bankrupt Hollywood was then. You know, and like obviously Hollywood is creatively bankrupt in a different way now where it's just tied to IP that it's just trying to like, you know, gin up and keep alive and tie into other stuff. You know, but like this is not a great box office. Now, I like some of the movies in this box. I'm not saying like they're all bad movies, but it is kind of like, ooh, you can sort of, you know, that mid to, anyway, look, number one is Four okay. Brothers, okay? okay. $21 it million. Dollars. It was a We hit. have no problem with that. Yeah, number, it, well. it was It was a solid hit. Yeah, to give you the right, the rundown, it made 74 domestic, about 90 worldwide, you know, not a, not a, an overseas player. I, I will say in the, the Shane Salerno eulogy I've talked about that you can read on Deadline, he points out that Singleton was very proud. Like it was a real running point of pride for him that almost every one of his movies opened at number one. That's that that's, makes sense. You know, and, and when he enters Hollywood, there's really so few black directors. Right. There's a little more by this time, but not many. And I'm sure, yeah, that really mattered to him. Like, yeah, I, I can open a movie. Like, I can make you a movie that'll that'll perform and, you know, yeah. make your money back. Yeah. And I bet it would have done better overseas if they pushed it more. Because this is still at a time where they, yes. like, black directors, black actors like, in movies, it. they were like, They just oh, didn't no, even no, try. Right. They didn't even Don't try. Don't bother. Right. Truly, yeah. yeah. Wild. Um, like, it came out in Britain, but I, yeah, I can't have to imagine it did not come out in a lot of places. All right. Number two. Oh, how do you know that it came out in this... Britain? Yeah, wait a second, uh, David. Let's explore that for a moment. Okay. All right. All right. Well, no, I was just, it was just a weird thing to just yeah. rattle off. How did you know that it came out in Britain? Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Britain. What? Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh, no. Okay. Okay. I want to say number two at the box office for all mm-hmm. my saying that this is a cursed box office is a horror movie that I think is pretty good. Hmm. It's new this week. Hmm. Uh, I feel like it was, you know, pretty much ignored at the time. Is it the like, skeleton key? It's the skeleton. This key. is a movie wow. that I also really like with an overqualified nice cast. Yeah. It is an overqualified because it's got Gina Rollins and right. Peter Sarsgaard and John Hurt. Like it's, yeah. uh, it's not a masterpiece. But it's a but it's good, good, not cheap. You know, like it doesn't yeah. do dumb jumps. Like it's a fun, creepy horror movie. It's mm-hmm. got sort of a, an angle. It's got a pretty good, you know, twist at the end. It's it's solid. It's just a side. Kate Hudson, she's fine. She's yeah. fine. Ian, Ian Softly, who did Backbeat and also a couple of the worst movies ever made, did K-Pax, uh, Wings of the Dove, yeah, Inkheart, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, so Skeleton Key. So all right, so those two, it's like okay. Hollywood's got some stuff on offer for you if you want to mm-hmm. come to the multiplex this weekend. Number mm-hmm. three, uh, down from one last week, it's a reboot, or sorry, it's a cinematic version of a television show. The extent to which you would not do this movie now, it's it's powerful. Dukes of Hazard. It's the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Uh, oh God, Johnny Knoxville, that. Sean William Scott, Jessica Simpson. Jessica Simpson in her Daisy Dukes. Burt Reynolds is Boss Hogg. 
right? Yes, and um, uh, uh, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson is Uncle Jesse, and uh, I just can't remember. Does the Confederate flag get the with or the and above the title? (laughs) I think it got both, unfortunately, (laughs) because it's in a lot of that. Truly, I never, I never saw that movie, but truly. This is how dumb teenage boys are. The only reason I was going to see that was because Jessica Simpson wasn't Daisy Dukes. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. It was being well. sold pretty much on that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was despised uh, when mm-hmm. it came out. It made yeah, some money, right? I don't know. Yeah, it was a decent. But I, I remember there being actual like vitriol from all quarters. Yes. Like uh, critics so, hated so, it, and audiences were like, "Well, it isn't for the critics." And they went to see it, and they were like, "Wait, I hate it too." <laughs> Now, I'm num- also upset. <laughs> number four, number four is mm-hmm. a comedy that a huge hit comedy this summer. A better movie than The Dukes of Hazard, but uh, it's Wedding Crashers. Yeah, oh, not yes. a movie that aged amazingly. I, I don't like that movie. I I do not think that movie has aged well. I I did like uh, it when I saw it. I definitely liked it when I saw uh, it. Hide your bridesmaids, guys. <laughs> you hide up. The Wedding Crashers are coming. Yeah, not since Belushi yeah. and Aykroyd. Now that now I will say, as much as that movie is not aged well, feels like a movie that someone is going to try and remake. Oh yeah, someone is going to be like Wedding Crashers. People know what that is. We're uh-huh. gonna we got to figure out a new angle on this woke Wedding Crashers. We'll figure it out. Yes, yeah. Here's the angle. They're women. I guarantee you, they're yeah. already developing it. Griffin, stop it. I I my four sisters is my thing. Okay. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute, Griffin. Griffin, I'll what? do you one better. Not only are they women. They're lesbians. Oh, no, they're god. gay. Oh no! Oh what? my god! Oh, they're crashing gay weddings. Oh like, my maybe? god! Gay weddings. Topical. Hollywood's like, Topical. Is this it, Hollywood with like the the, the butterfly meme? Yeah. <laughs> is, is this a woke? <laughs> is, like, is, is this inclusion? <laughs> but what if it's the women who hate other women? Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> and only use them for sex. Is now, that number woke? five, number okay. five to round out. And I forgot that August was a real dumping ground for like shitty comedies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've yeah, got a, a, a comedy sequel. A comedy um, sequel. From a, a lesser a lesser comedy star, I will a, say. A lesser comedy star. Is it Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo? Oh, my That's God. It's all I had to give you. Yep. That's what all a pull. I had to give you. Holy yeah. hell. Yeah. I, 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 I New this week. New this week. Not opening pick. Not opening, opening well. Number five. What, what were you going to guess, Bray? <laughs> no, I was. I, this is not a lesser comedy star, but I was thinking like, I was like, did Big Mama's House 2 come out this year? <laughs> sure, sure. Right, right. right. I, I no, was just no, thinking, worse than that. Right. What's a comedy that had enough of a following to support a sequel, but not right. enough of a following to release any time other than the end of <laughs> August? That was the math for me. I, that's that's uh, That was great. No, that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's the, is that the movie where uh, Ebert and Rob Schneider yes. kind of gotten like a fight about it? Like, because Ebert said it was a piece of shit, and Schneider was yeah. like, eh. "Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, yeah, yeah." Ebert was throwing he hands was for a couple of years there in the two thousand because he had his Vincent Gallo dust up too. He did, he did, he got salty at the end there. We love it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the uh, some other movies he got the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Sky High, Griffin's favorite. My beloved, yes. A movie that should have been a franchise but also retains a purity because Disney didn't run into the ground. Right. Uh, you've got uh, Must Love Dogs. You must. Uh, you know, One must. It's not It's not the John Dahl war movie, The Great Raid. Mm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
you know, it's just not the Dukes of Hazard, Wedding Crashers, Deuce Bigelow trio. It just reminds me of that kind of nasty, sweaty mid 2000s Hollywood approach to comedy, especially like, you know, they had a hand in its defeat, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Well, also, I think the next weekend 40 year old virgin comes out. Am I right about that? Uh, well, let's find out. I think it's literally the next weekend. Yes, Griffin. How? Thank you. How do you know that? You (laughs) bastard. I am dead inside. Uh, Other than the box office data that rattles around my brain. Um, but that changes everything. That's the answer right there. Right, but still had to play that. Still had a. It was like a. It was like a Trojan horse because it was still coming in. Like, hey. Comedies are for teenage boys who want to see tits right, and, right. <laughs> you know. Uh, unrated and out-of-control DVD right. release, like yeah. selling the sex front, front and center. And then when people responded so well to, like, the emotionality of that movie, then that is just, like, great. Now you find new cheap stars, you let them improvise as low-premise concept as possible, and that's the next 10 years of comedy. Yeah, the the sort of, like, uh, boys will be boys kind of grody cynicism goes away and is replaced by like but sometimes boys are kind of nice right i just also I have to week... let i have to let you know that tessa has been texting me being like how are you guys still talking about this movie? <laughs> check, baby. and i, and I check, said baby. That's, that's what's that's we, i check. mean t- we are done yeah, that's blank check for you. Uh, yeah, that's blank check. Next baby. week, also red eye. I just want to point out red eye. Ugh, red eye, good movie. Ooh, red eye. Prob- that, yeah. That's one that's probably only aged better too. That's that's one of those truly they don't make it like this anymore. They don't even. Yeah, they don't even try to make movies like that. <laughs> no, no, that is absolutely a movie that would go to Netflix now. I mean, to be fair, so do big budget movies. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, right? Yeah. So does so does every so does every movie. So does everything. Goes yeah, fucking Netflix. Okay, uh, we're done. We're done. Four brothers. Uh, Braylock, you're Nobody the best. No, but take four sisters. That's mine. That's David's, and I have a wedding, a wedding crasher s's. I don't know how you make that title clear. Mm-hmm. Um, lady wedding crashers, Miss Miss wedding crashers. I don't um, think you should try. I think you should move on. No, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make this work. Okay. Uh Braylock, sorry it had been so long. We will have you on again sooner. It's always a pleasure yes. and a privilege. So, yeah. Not 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 like three years again. Yeah. <laughs> what no. was it? I don't know. Um but everyone should listen to to Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood. You guys have done episodes on most of these singleton movies as well, right? A good handful of them. Uh, yeah, that's that that's another to be fair, that's another reason why I didn't pick them. Yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yes, we've done yeah, like higher learning and poetic justice and obviously uh Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Um and everyone should watch uh, Astronomy Club speaking of things that are yeah, on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Um, no, we love Netflix. We love oh, we love them. We love them. <laughs> Um, and, uh, thank you all for listening to this show. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, Alex Barron, AJ McKeon for editing help. Thank you to Lane Montgomery and the great American novel for our theme song. Research on this episode done by JJ Bursch and Nick Loriano. Go to blankies.riot.com for some real nerdy shit and go to patreon.com slash 
blank check for blank check special features where uh, our, our Taylor Lautner summer is about to crest it as sure we finish is. the Twilight franchise over on that feed with those commentaries and we uh, we tackle abduction next week on this feed. One of the more depressing final films we've ever had to cover it's on one this show. shot. I mean, look, maybe it'll surprise me, but I don't think so. I would love to love it. Right. And exactly. I, I, I fear. Um, uh, so that's all the stuff. I don't think I forgot things that I'm supposed to say at the end, which I have been recently uh, doing. And as always, Garrett Hedlund is a cockologist. <laughs>